All right. Hello, everyone. Well, last episode, we had a very, uh, very robust discussion on the battle for the male mind. And we talked about some of the influencers within male culture, about the uh, Tate brothers. We talked about Justin Waller. We talked about Jordan Peterson. We talked about Victor Marks. We talked about um, John Lovell and several others. And we had, a, we had a great conversation. We had several people go, are you going to do one on the battle for the female mind? And so we decided, absolutely. Let's do that as a good follow-up. So today what we're going to be discussing is essentially what uh, the left is offering uh, women, what the right is offering women, uh, what maybe people that don't necessarily associate with uh, any necessarily political ideology is offering women. We're going to talk a little bit today, and you, you already saw in the thumbnail, right? We're talking about the whole boss babe versus the trad wife, and uh, whether or not maybe some of these things or some of these attributes uh, can, can go along either side. And uh, we're actually going to have a special guest with us today to, to talk about this a little bit more. So all of that and much more, and I'm just going to say right off the bat, I, I think based off of some of the show prep, um, this is, it, it's going to get spicy. It's going to get spicy not, and not because of me, <laughs> not because of me, all of that and more coming up on this episode of Making the Argument. I will second that. This is going to be an interesting episode. If you've been watching us for a while, you know, we're mixing things up today. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, we had a great conversation about Tuesday's episode in our circle chat. We hope that you will join us there and continue the conversation down at the link in the description. We would love to have you join us, and let's get right into the show and introduce our special guest. All right. As always, I am Nick Freitas, uh, host of Making the Argument, member of the Virginia House of Delegates, but other than that, a reasonably good person. Uh, we also have with us today, of course, to talk about Boss Babery and Trad Wifery, <laughs> my, uh, my beautiful bride, Tina, Queen of the Bees. Hello, everyone. This is going to be so special. Spicy, but you know what's not spicy is our special guest made. Like, look at this. Like, oh yeah. If this isn't some trad wife credentials. Like, oh yeah. There we go. And that and that leads us. That leads us to to. Uh, well, I'm I'm gonna introduce her as this. So. Gina is a chef, along with being actually a, a chief of staff in the General Assembly. Um, she's a chef, but on this show, I think we're going to call her the cook. Say her name, Stauffenberg. Gina Stauffenberg, the cook, with us today for the first time on Making the Argument. Yes, yes. Thank you for having me. Pull, pull your mic in <laughs> and closer, she brought, And she brought goodies. <laughs> she did. brought goodies. These are, again, she... Uh, Pastry chef and and absolutely phenomenal on, on top of being uh, a chief of staff and as, as we affectionately call her my uh, adult supervision in Richmond, uh, she she actually makes sure that the office doesn't burn down and that everything runs uh, smoothly and does an excellent job because if it was left to my devices, um, it would be a crazy place. To I there. wanted to call her the Gina. I don't know if anybody <laughs> saw Suits, but I felt like she's the Gina. Yeah, but oh we well. Can, you know, we know we can decide. I, well, I thought the I thought the whole cook. You know, breaking bad because <laughs> you're a ginger, right? Like, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Soulless, right there. <laughs> well, <laughs> but today be, I'm off. Uh, yeah, today, today she's off. She, she does not have to provide me any adult supervision. All right. So we're going to jump into this. One of the things I want to talk about right off the bat is this whole concept of feminism because I found several different definitions here. And so, what does it mean? Okay, here we go. Feminism, this is according, I think, to Oxford Dictionary, the advocacy of women's rights on the basis of the equality of the sexes which I don't think anybody, I would hope nobody finds too horribly offensive, this idea that men and women are equal in value uh, and should have equality before the law, should have equal access to you know, you know, property rights and, and all the things that, that we would consider just basic individual rights, liberties, et cetera. 
However, that, that's kind of changed a little bit. So I, I want to look at two different definitions here. Um, and then we're going to go into this whole concept of fourth wave feminism. But the first one is, what does it mean to be, or, or sorry, what it means um, to be a feminist? And this is one definition that was given. Feminism, the belief in social, economic, and political equality of the sexes, although largely originated in the West, feminism is manifested worldwide and is represented by various institutions committed to activity on behalf of women's rights and interests. Now, um, Here's another, here's another definition of what it means to be a feminist. Feminist political activists campaign in areas such as reproductive rights, domestic violence, fairness, social justice, and workplace issues such as family, medical leave, equal pay, and sexual harassment and discrimination. What I found interesting about that is that first definition of what it means to be a feminist is largely kind of politically neutral. This other definition of what it is to be a feminist is absolutely left-wing. It, it's, it's almost as if, if you're a feminist, you have to be left-wing. All right, and then finally, we want to talk about fourth wave feminism is, is a feminist movement that began around 2012 and is characterized by a focus on the empowerment of women, the use of internet tools, and intersectionality. The fourth wave seeks greater gender equality by focusing on gendered norms and the marginalization of women in society. So that's a little bit different than just equality before the law and, and again, access to, to rights and liberties that would be you know, available for any adult. So... We asked both of our guests, we asked uh, Gina and Tina, if they would provide uh, some examples from kind of left-wing sources as well as right-wing sources or what you might call more of like the fourth wave feminist sources versus more of the traditional sources. And I think we're going to go through, we're going to go through the, uh, the fourth wave feminist first, right? I think that's right. Okay. All right. So let's go through, let's go through some of the fourth wave leaders within the fourth wave feminist movement. So we got our, our first one up here, which is, what is it? W-A-G-A-T-W-E. This is her Instagram account. All right. Let's go ahead and see what, uh, see what she has to say. Honestly, I was pretty stunned when I saw women accusing other women or girls accusing other girls of catering to the male gaze, especially on social media, because, um, it's a media studies um, term, film studies. And it's not just that, like we know that words can, um, you know, float away from their original meaning. It happens, especially when it becomes popular. What is really messed up is that they're taking a feminist term, right? And these are people who claim to be feminist. And then you're using it to put other women down. So you're using something that was made to critique the patriarchy, to critique the victims of it, even if you don't know what the male gaze means, even if you don't really know like the academic definitions, you should think, hmm, how is this being used? How is this undermining the patriarchy? The way that the male gaze is used in other theory terms, uh, we have to remember they were made to critique and understand oppression, systems of oppression. So if you are going to be using this term, what are you doing? Are you reinforcing those same systems of oppression that they were coined to critique? What? What? <laughs> what? What is the? I had to look up what the male gaze was, and and let me see. Here it is. Um, in feminist theory, the male gaze is the gaze of seeing women and the female world from a male straight viewpoint, which presents and depicts women as merely sexual objects for the enjoyment of the straight male viewer. However, the term is often misused by women to describe any kind of sexual contact with a man. Uh, like all these OnlyFans girls and all these girls that go on the whatever podcast and talk about their high body counts and things like that. It's like, no, like... Seriously, you are not wearing something 
with your cleavage hanging out, okay, and your butt cheeks jiggling below your skirt, you're not wearing that for other women, okay? Don't dilute yourself. Like, you're a moron. So that's not, you, wait, wait, that's not empowering? <laughs> this is not empowering, okay? I mean, like, so, so... This idea that, oh, women are accusing other women of, of trying to appeal to the male gaze because of their provocative outfits and whatever. They are. Like, <laughs> I don't want to see your boobs. Okay? I, I'm a woman from a woman's perspective. That's great. You know, the female form is gorgeous. It's beautiful. Like, I can appreciate from a very hetero heterosexual standpoint the beauty of other women. But I don't want to see your boobs. Okay, you're doing that for men. So you don't think they're doing that to fight the patriarchy? No, no. they no, are not. Absolutely I not. feel like the patriarchy <laughs> has fed this to women like, hey, this would be so empowering <laughs> if you just like let us see your boobs. I, I feel like there's, I feel like feminism originally started off with this idea of, hey, not only do we want women to have equal protection before the law and access to opportunities, which are currently being barred to us right. through the law, we would also like, this is why the prohibition movement was, was, you know, in line with the women's suffrage movement. We also want men to step up and do their jobs, right? Be good husbands, be good fathers. And I feel like some of the most like licentious, like lecherous men out there said, all right, cool on the first one, but on that second one, yeah, we really don't want to step up. What if we allowed you to descend in the worst attributes of what are considered bad male behavior? Oh yeah. And, and, and then, and then now we have like this, this new wave of like, again, the only fans club girl where it's all about, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get my power through sleeping with a bunch of men and that's going to show the patriarchy. And I feel like the patriarchy is sitting there like, okay, you got us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually think that for the most part, equal pay for equal job. That's the definition. And we got that. We won. We got that. Yeah. We're done. Yeah. Like the gender pay gap isn't for they're 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 comparing apples and oranges when they look at the gender pay gap. But if you if you look at within the same amount of time with the same, you know, type of work done to the same level, there's no pay gap. Give me a break. And and I think that that's what it is is it's like this perpetual like we need to complain about everything and as as they check off everything that we've complained about before. We need to find new things to complain about. So let me, let me ask you something with respect, cause now we're on the fourth wave of feminism. Yeah. Right. Really I, I honestly, I got I kind of, <laughs> I kind of, I, I think I understood the, the objectives of the first one. I, I honestly, and this is my own ignorance. I couldn't tell you what the second and third ones were, but the, the fourth one with this whole idea of, do, do you think let, let's assume the fourth wave of feminism, because if, if we're on the fourth wave, then I'm assuming that the first, second and third achieved desired objectives and which is why we're on the, the fourth right now, because there's different objectives to achieve. If fourth wave feminism achieved theoretically everything it wanted, would that be it? Would, would we be done with four waves? Uh, well, I will tell you this. Um, it basically, if you look at, at the waves of feminism and you have it like a square first wave, second wave, third wave, Fourth wave, here we are, right back at the beginning with the patriarchy taking over women's spaces. How do you mean that, you turf? I know, I am a turf, turf proud. Let's go ahead and move on to the next, because right. I think we're going to get to all that. 
This is such a good point. This is something that I've brought up a lot. Yeah, usually if someone is ever quote unquote canceled, it's the victim. Victims are the ones who are ostracized. Victims are the ones who are blamed. Victims are the ones who are not believed. And it is just so infuriating to see how the cancel culture rhetoric is now used against victims to further delegitimize them when we're already not believed. Like that's the norm. The norm is not like excessive accountability of abusers. I wish. <laughs> I think this is such a good point. This is something. The comment she was responding to says, my experience with cancel culture, especially in social circles, is the victim is the one who ultimately gets canceled. So when we're talking about like hashtag me too, when we're talking about all that, that various stuff, what's your guys' take with respect to, again, how cancel culture, and, and I, I'm, I'm assuming based off of what she said, okay. she's talking about sexual abuse and things like that, and the me too movement, how cancel culture is now being used as like a pejorative against the people engaging in it. Yeah, well, I mean... I heard something really funny the other day. Uh, the Me Too movement uh, was short-lived to men in our bathrooms. <laughs> so um, I don't think the Me Too movement's doing well right no, now. No, it's not. Uh, you got to like you just look at Hollywood and some of these people who have. There are some people that got caught up into the Me Me Too movement who were legitimate abusers. Okay, and then there were others where it was like, ooh. The, these women who are like grifters who could just latch on, like the Amber Herds of the world and things like that. Like you've got Johnny Depp was me too'd out. He was totally canceled. And then he won his court case and now he's back. And uh, what's another one? Uh, Brendan Fraser was canceled because of the me too thing. And look, he had a big comeback. And um, I've seen too many situations where women have lied about what has happened to them because they regret their decision of having sex with somebody they didn't, care about or no and so regret regret now equals rape which delegitimizes all these horrible rape experiences other women have had it like casts dispersion on all of it wait a minute are you saying that women may lie at times (laughs) women never lie i i I find that shocking wait a minute (laughs) women lie no really so Mm. so let me ask you this so i one of the things okay i'll play devil's advocate here Okay. As the dude, right? <laughs> As the dude. So w- one of the aspects with the, the whole hashtag me too again was that was this idea that there um, it had, you know, been fostered in society, this concept that um, women who found themselves in, in situations, um, you know, ha- had been doing something or dressing in an inappropriate way or behaving in such a way um, that, you know, was, was either unwise or, or what they would claim was, um, you know, in, enticing men to behave in an, in an inappropriate way, right? And so the, the idea was is, is bringing attention to the fact, and this, this part is true, right, statistically true, that far more women have been victims of sexual either uh, abuse, violence, or assault, right, to varying degrees. That doesn't mean that every woman has, has experienced what, what we might uh, consider within the category of rape, but some sort of sexual, like genuine sexual yeah. intimidation. Far more women have experienced that than I think most you know, men would appreciate. Absolutely. Um, I, I think, and I think that um, you have a situation where um, people maybe don't take it as seriously now because of all of these women who have faked it. And um, like, you've got, you've got situations in 
like certain colleges, even here in Virginia, I can't remember which college it was. UVA. Right, right, right. And this girl like accused half the lacrosse team of, no. That was a different state. That was different. Oh, okay. Well, there was a UVA one where basically it cost the guy his, his college education. He, he went through all kinds of crap because of it, um, ruined his life. And then she came back later and was like, well, I lied. Yeah. I lied because I was just mad. And so like a woman scorned will make accusations and I've watched women do it in, in other situations that aren't even a, a, like a sexual situation, they will twist and manipulate things and, um, make themselves out to be a victim and they will use their tears as tools. I mean, just, I'm going to go ahead and turn on the waterworks and then you'll have to believe me and you'll feel sad for me. So let, let me, so the, I think there's a natural inclination. So if, if we're looking at, if we're looking at like a potential positive side of me too, right? It was the idea that it was, it was women supporting other women who had, in, who had endured or been victims of, um, you know, sexual assault, sexual abuse, sexual violence. Right. And I think that was, I think that's, that's an important component that needs to be acknowledged, right? Is that, is that women find themselves in a situation where they are most, the vast, vast majority of women are not able to physically contend with a man. Jordan Peterson actually had this really interesting interview with Naomi Wolf, and they were talking about the, the dynamics here. And I remember Tina and I were watching it together, and Naomi Wolf was, was talking about, and she tends to be on the left. And the first 10 minutes was just so frustrating because it was almost like she was playing this game with Jordan Peterson where no matter what he said and no matter how he tried to encourage the conversation. It was always like this struggle session of correcting him on everything. And then finally, Peterson did a very, very good job of, I think, making her feel that, look, I'm on your side on this. I'm not, I'm trying to understand. I'm not trying to correct. I'm not trying to mansplain. I'm just trying to understand. And one of the questions that came up was she had a very, very prominent professor that essentially, um, you know, engaged in inappropriate behavior toward her. And, and they were, they were talking about that dynamic. And one of the things that she said, and I, like, I remember pausing and going, is that true? And Jordan Peterson was talking about, well, gosh, you must've felt, you know, not only scared uh, associated with this and not only violated, but also a sense of betrayal that here was someone that you looked up to as a mentor that was now treating you in this way. And she said, maybe later, but honestly, in the moment, it was just the absolute terror associated with it. And I, and I paused and I'm like, is that, is that true? Like the, te- like, cause we're talking about this college professor, like, is he really going to like is he really going to like rape and murder you or something like that? And I don't mean that to be flippant. Right. I'm just wondering what, and Tina was explaining that. Uh, this woman had a prior experience when she was like 10 or 11 years old of being sexually assaulted by an adult male. And so because of her previous experience where she was overpowered and it caused like a lot of trauma. Um, and that is just a lot more common than people realize. And um, I know women who this type of thing has happened to where you would never know it happened to them because they don't operate in the victim sphere and they've overcome it. And so people would never know that they experienced that. Um, but you do get a lot of these women who, who make it up and they, and they wear it on their sleeve. Like it's their, you know, some have made it up. It's not even real. And then others, they've had a real experience and they are, it's the first thing you know about them every single time because they're just so obsessed with it. It's another, in this like situation, the core part of their identity. A whole part of their identity. In this situation, I was saying that I could understand why it, uh, she would feel ter- terrified is partly because of her history and how, and how um, 
what had happened there. And then also the power of that professor in that situation. Um, you know, he's a man, he can overpower her physically. Uh, he's in a position of power. He can fail her. He can turn other staff members against her. There's a lot at play here and, and a lot that women, they have to figure out how to get out of this situation unscathed. How? How do you do that? And, yeah, but yeah. they also don't, you have that situation when you're in an office environment with anyone. Like, you can be with a bunch of women and... They can be psychotic and you could say something and they can turn on you. I don't normally think like if a professor or someone made a comment to me or, you know, oh, maybe we should go out, that my brain immediately goes to, oh, I got to carefully put my rejection to him because, you know, he might turn around and, you know, throw me through the wall. Like, that's just But he, not... could, he could, like, hurt your... I mean, this is one of the things we used to talk about. But the guy about. already showed a physical component to it. He had already tried to grope her. So it was, it was already going that route, and she was just watching it come down the pike, like, how am I going to handle this? So, so where did... Here's my question to both of you. And I'd like both of you to answer. Where did Me Too screw up, right? Because any, any guy that's worth, worth anything looks at a dude that would put a woman in that particular situation, get physical, or use the intimidation or the power with their position to be able to be, to, to, to engage in obviously inappropriate behavior, right? And let, let's distinguish. There, there, it's one thing to say, um, hey, would, would you like to go out sometime? Now, I, I'm, I'm someone that believes that if you're in a position of power or authority over someone, that's inappropriate. You shouldn't, you shouldn't do it. Wait till you're no, no longer in that position. If, if there is a strong attraction there, wait till you're no longer in a position of authority or make that determination. But I have a real problem with this idea of, of imbalanced power dynamics because ultimately someone at the back of their mind is going to be thinking, or I, I would imagine a woman at the back of their mind is going to be thinking, are there consequences to saying no? Even if it's not physical, are there professional consequences? Are there okay. social consequences to saying no? So I don't believe a man in a position of direct authority over a, a person should should proposition in any way, even if it's it's meant to be nice or even if it's meant to be totally innocent. That power dynamic matters. What I want to know is where did the Me Too movement screw up with differentiating between, you know, things that I don't think anybody questions are, are genuine forms of of assault or abuse versus you know, what we have now where it's almost in, in some cases has almost become this caricature that, um, you know, a, a man's not allowed, let's say not in a, not in a, uh, superior subordinate, you know, position with respect to work, a, a man better not proposition a girl in the workplace. And, and by proposition, I just mean, would you like to go out and get dinner unless he's hot? Then he can do it. If right. he's ugly, it's sexual assault. If he's good looking, it's not like, I don't mean to be flippant, but that's a perception a lot of guys yeah, have. Yeah, so but then the minute, even if the guy's good looking and she likes the attention at first, the minute anything sours and goes south, she's just going to like throw that in his face. I I hate to say that. Here's what I think the Me Too movement went wrong. Gina, you can like Chime in. tell me if you think I'm right. They went wrong in the believe all women shtick. Okay. Not all women are honest. You can't automatically believe all women. And I think they would have done much better for themselves if they would have said, take all women seriously, investigate, figure it out. But if, if there is no evidence to be had, um, 
I'm so, I'm sorry. I'm not going to believe you over somebody else when you have no evidence at all. Um, and you have a history of going and just being the biggest, you know, hoe bag ever, you know, <laughs> Technical terms right there. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I engaged in slut shaming there, you guys. Yeah. I'm sorry. So I think Me Too got it wrong when they, I agree, you know, believe all women. Okay. But I think they moreover got it wrong when it was like, you, there's subjective things that you and I can differ on. But then there's other things where it's like, no, a guy should not do that. And there's legal um, consequences for you doing that. That is a legitimate reason to have the Me Too movement. Like the Harvey Weinstein stuff. Right. Yeah. Where like, the women kind of like rose up and went, we're finally going to expose right. this guy. We're going to do this. You, you did things that were illegal. You are now going to jail. Perfectly fine. So, where it's not fine is when you go, um, I feel icky or I feel like he was this way or that way. Well, how, how, to your point, if he was good looking and you were single, uh, would you feel the same way? Um, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Well, what, but that's, what do you think? that's subjective. I can't, I can't measure that. And not only that, but like, even, I don't know if you guys have seen the, uh, Saturday Night Live. Oh, it's just Charlie. Yeah. Uh, it's the it's the old Hilarious. man that always says like the most inappropriate things. Yeah. But another guy that's like, oh, you look pretty today. They're like, you're disgusting. How well, dare you? Call and HR he, right yeah. away. I don't know yeah. if anybody's seen that, but it's actually quite funny. So women will perceive some men as totally not a threat and they actually enjoy the attention this person's giving them. Whereas uh, another guy is a threat and they don't like him and he's creepy or whatever. And it's all just based on how she feels. Well, look, so, let, so let me ask this question to specify this, because I, I when I looked at that skit, I thought it was hysterical. Like the uh, SNL has a way of doing this stuff or they used to. They're not very good at it anymore, but they used okay. to be pretty funny. Um I, I understood, at least in that situation, that one was like an old man who was the security guard sitting at the front desk, you know, being like, you know, mm, shake that thing, right? <laughs> and it was, uh, that's just Charlie. The other guy was like the vice president of sales. Like, okay, now that guy's in a power position. So I can look at that, appreciate kind of the funny and, and maybe some of the contradictions, but I can also look at, again, if you're in a position of authority over someone, you don't, you don't try to engage in romantic trysts with them because it just creates a whole host of problems. Now, by, by the same token, what I what I think I, I I remember overhearing someone when um the whole again the Me Too movement was really getting started and it was really kind of like at its height mm -hmm. and it was a we were we were all sitting at breakfast and it was a woman saying I am terrified for my son yeah right wasn't a dad wasn't two that. guys talking it was a woman saying I am terrified for my son because now if my son you know goes and and okay maybe he sleeps with a girl in college. And she decides the next morning she didn't like it or he's not paying her sufficient attention or whatnot. Well, now she can make a claim and the automatic assumption is he needs to be disciplined or kicked out of college or whatever it is. And, and she wasn't, she wasn't just blindly speculating. This has happened. Oh, they, they had a case. I think it was in, it was either in Connecticut or Vermont. I believe they had a case where they actually had text messages from the, from the girl texting her friend saying, 
I'm going to get some tonight. I'm going to do this. I can't wait to do X, Y, and Z, blah, 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 blah. Did it. And then over the next couple of days, he didn't pay her a lot of attention. And the next thing you know, she accused him of rape. Now, even though they brought to bear the text messages and everything else, he was still got into a huge amount of trouble over this. And again, instances like that, I think are ones that people look at. There's even situations where a girl has a boyfriend and she ends up drinking too much, doing whatever she does and impairing herself um, and then sleeping with somebody else because she made a whole lot of stupid decisions and then regrets it and needs to explain to her boyfriend why she slept with somebody else so she calls it rape. Yeah, we would call that regrets, not rape. Exactly, but but at this point, it's really hard to find the um, the line there. And, and what really is disturbing to me is the fact that there are a lot of women who really have been assaulted, who really have been raped, who really did not... Uh, this isn't regret. This is full fledged. I, I, I have been harmed in my body by another person. And these women are now lumped into the same category with the dang liars. And I don't know. I like, I'm getting really, this also brings up the idea of, um, you know, that Taylor Swift changed some of the words to one of her songs to, take out the slut shaming component. Oh my gosh. And so like, we're at this point now where um, we're not allowed to talk about that. The fact that like maybe sleeping with random people isn't a good idea. So we, we actually had someone show up at a, at a committee meeting Mm -hmm. and, and chastise the committee about one of the bills that we were looking at because it was engaging in slut shaming. Now here's my question. There, I, I think there's some people believe it. I, well, I'll put it this way: nobody believes. Ultimately, if you really ask him, that shame doesn't serve some sort of useful purpose in society, or they're, they're not some behaviors which are in fact shameful. Like e- even the, like the most radical woke progressive believes it's shameful to engage in like racist behavior. So everyone acknowledges that shame serves a purpose. I, I think that part of the frustration is this idea that oh well, if men have a high body count. You know, that's that's a sign of status. Whereas if women have a high body count, that's a sign of of you know being just promiscuous and you know damaged goods or whatever else. And again, what I find interesting about this is the proper response to that is be like, no, it's it's not good for either. It's yeah, not good it's- for either. It's not good for men to have a high body count. It may be representative of status. It's true that rich men, rich, powerful, successful men have more ability to sleep with a whole, that doesn't mean it's good. It doesn't mean that's a good outworking of them utilizing their status. That's not a good manifestation of it. But instead the response has been to look at certain women and be like, no, 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 you can do it too. And I'm, I'm curious, do any of the guys, do any of the men within society pushing that narrative want to marry the women that they're pushing that narrative on? No, they do not. No, they do not. But they also take away a woman's right to her own agency by giving her the out Yeah. of, you know, you have a 24-year-old guy, you have a 22-year-old girl, they both go out drinking, they both make bad decisions, and somehow he's, he's more 
held responsible than the girl. Oh how, yeah, like how, she's in, How is this how is this equal? It's, it's not. It's like it's automatically rape if she has um been drinking, but what if he's been drinking too and they're and he's even more drunk than she is? Why is it automatically rape on it, his side and not on hers? You right. know what I mean? Yeah. This is why I I believe that some people on the left they don't want equal. They want better. And guess what? For the most part, they even have better. It's almost so, like they want privilege. Privilege. <laughs> hmm. No. <laughs> All right. So what are, let's, uh, let's go to go this go next, next clip. Oh, yeah. is, this the, is this the next yes, one? Yes. Okay, what, is a, what turf, is a turf, you guys? What's a turf and what's a gender critical? So these two words are typically used to refer to a very similar type of person. Turf, T-E-R-F, is a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. And gender critical is the word that's used for the same type of people, usually more in the UK. These folks are persons whose views on gender identity are considered hostile to transgender folks. And they typically oppose social and political policies designed to be inclusive of transgender people. They will typically say transmissive things like trans women are not women, trans men are not men, or just generally oppose transgender rights. And these views have been described as transphobic or transmissic um, by other feminists. What's transmissic? Well, here's, here, here's the point of this is that Feminism, we're talking about what the left is offering on feminism now, like for women. And it used to be like, we really want to have the right to vote. We want to be able to share these spaces and, and have some legitimacy too. We, you know, we want to uh, have our own sense of agency, our own ability to, you know, have a bank account and, you know, do all of the things that a man can do, uh, that, that we physically can do. And... Now it has gotten to the point where then it's total man bashing. And I remember back in the day, we used to call feminists feminazis because they were, I think that was a Rush Limbaugh term, feminazis. <laughs> back in the day. Because they, love that. they full on hate men, absolutely hate men and the whole deal. Well, then you get to this uh, other, like everything's the whole sexual liberation thing. But now... um I, I kind of want to highlight something real quick. Do we have the video of the women in the vagina suits? Oh, no. We unfortunately do. We do. <laughs> Everybody. Oh, no. Okay, so I am old enough to remember not so long ago when the Women's March had women like this talking about the glory of the vagina. Here you go. I'm wearing a beautiful artistic representation of a very sacred and special part of the woman's body, the vagina. My vagina, my choice. Okay, you guys. I remember this. Being like the mantra of women, they were all wearing the little pink, you know, vagina Oh, yeah, it hats. wasn't that long ago. It really wasn't. It wasn't, and they were decorating their big, you know, stuffed vagina costumes. And the way some of them decorated made me a little concerned for their health. I was, <laughs> I'm assuming they're decorating based on what theirs particularly might have looked like. And I'm like, Did they Ooh. bedazzle them? They were bedazzled, <laughs> oh, and they had, like, this scary hair everywhere. Anyway. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just asking. And they were, like, wrinkly and flappy and weird looking. And here's the thing. Is I just, wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> It's just, I'm just so worried. It's just here about this the health of at. these women. Um, but anyway, 
So I remember mocking that at the time and being like, you've got to be kidding me. But you guys, they have gotten worse. Where's the, uh, is there a link to the bonus? Oh, my what? gosh. Oh, no. We are now supposed to not call it a vagina, you guys. So, so this is where feminism is now. Now women's spaces are being invaded by men wearing woman face. Okay. And there it is. Oh my yeah, gosh. You've got men, men wearing women face. They're getting fake vagina holes cut into themselves by like inverting their penis and doing all this weird crap. And now health professionals are being urged to call vaginas bonus holes because we don't want to offend our trans and non-binary persons. So, like, we're birthing persons now. We're no longer women. We are chest feeding now, no longer breast feeding. And I remember breast is best. Don't you remember that? Don't you remember the craze of call it breastfeeding? You can't call it nursing. Call it breastfeeding. Now they want to call it chest feeding. So we don't, you know, offend the men who want to nurse the babies. And so now... We're looking at these things. They're bonus. Hey, Hamilton, you said something about the bonus hole. Can you say something? <laughs> yeah. Please? Tell tell them what you said. I, I said the bonus infers that it's not the primary <laughs> or main. And so I didn't quite get why bonus was the yeah. word that was used. Like, what's the main then? Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll just leave it there for your imaginations. This is where we are now. With women is we're telling women you are a turf. Okay. Trans exclusionary radical feminist. Yeah. And that's JK Rowling and those people. Yeah. Um, you're a turf and you're no longer welcome in feminism because you won't let a dude be a woman. Okay, whether he's got a bonus hole or not, <laughs> he can still have the whole thing dangling and be a woman now. And that is what kind of gets I, I do find it. Well, first of all, I looked up transmissic uh, or transmesia is any attitude, belief, behavior, or policy that stigmatizes or harms trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming people, denies the validity of their identity, sees them as less human, and or treats them as less worthy of care and respect. This comes from Planned Parenthood, by the way. Wait a minute. But I don't understand. This is the part that I don't understand. Like, how am I offending you? By having my own opinion and my own thoughts. Oh, you're not allowed to do that. No. You're, you're not allowed to do that. The, they the have patriarchy, a right not to be I mean, offended. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This movement, Planned Parenthood says you're not allowed to have that. Because if you do, if you believe, if you believe, for instance, like, let's think about this logically just for a second. Um, sure. I don't want to scare some certain people by using such patriarchal language. But if we do think about this logically, because that's patriarchy according to the woke left, the same people that want to say that your genitalia has no bearing on, on what your gender is are the same that, people that believe they need to either cut off, remove, invert, replace, or do something else with their genitalia in order to become the thing that they say they are. So let me get this straight. If the genitalia has no bearing, why are they going to such great lengths in order to change it? If the genetic makeup, if the, if the biology you know, and the hormones has nothing to do with it. Why are they taking puberty blockers? Why do these things? Why do you need to change your why, genitalia? Why do you need to change if genitalia has nothing to do with it? If it's if it has nothing to do with it, and this is nothing more than a deep psychological conviction, then the question is, 
Why do you need to change anything? Why do you need to start cutting? I, I, can, can we go to the next? Uh, okay, so this would be a perfect time to kind of highlight like the boss babe one, the boss or the uh, not boss babe, sorry, the bad baddie, certified yes. baddie. Okay. Um, so you guys, this is not Job of the Hut. Oh my um, gosh. This is a dude. Don't be mean. This is a dude that wants legitimacy in the women's space. Here you go. If it'll play. If it could. Uh-oh. I'm 23 years old from Arizona, and I'm your certified bad. Your, huh? The certified baddie. Say, right. your, say your occupation one more time for just, us. Just so they can. My occupation is a certified bad she said what certified bad bitch. Very much baddie vibes. I'm 23 years old. And certified bad, bad? Boss, ba I, Very much baddie vibes. Baddie, like full-time baddie. <laughs> no breaks. What, so it's very much full-time. What, what does that mean? Can you explain that? <laughs> it's just a lifestyle. Like, it's, I mean, if you get it, you get it. The rules are there. I, mean, I feel like every girl, can, every woman can be a certified baddie. It's just the mindset and it's a full-time job. I mean, it's just like toning it down completely. Just a woman who's confident in herself, does whatever she wants for herself, nobody else. Just woman, whatever. Anybody can be a certified bad exactly. There you go. Okay. I don't know if that's the official day. Can I Can I just say something honestly? Like I was I, actually relieved yeah. that I found out she wasn't a Shay. I was actually like, wow, okay, cool. Yeah. Oh, they, they, they had a huge fight on this episode because... Some, yeah. Somebody had the audacity to suggest that the very biology that that now again is being attempted to is attempted to recreate, right? In in a way that inevitably fails because when 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 a man does go through that process, um, it, it's not as if all of a sudden they they have the appropriate genitalia. It's that their body is continually trying to close up what it perceives to be a wound because that's what it is. Yeah. Right, but uh, the other issue also with the bottom surgery that a lot of people don't know about is fistulas. And the, there was a, I was I looking know. for this and I couldn't find it. You're going to gross me out right now. Yeah, right? yeah I'm going to gross okay. everybody out. Here's, here comes the ick factor, Christian, if you're still watching. He's probably <laughs> checked out by now. Yeah. But, um, or just Christian, Christian, off. Yeah. Christian is so happy he's not here. For this. Well, mainly because I don't think there's a way to like equate any of this to like Alexander the Great. I uh, just... <laughs> I, we miss you, Christian. But what? anyway, um, but Futile since, times, futile yeah. times. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Dude, because Christian's not here, I'm going to go ahead and lean into this. Okay. Oh okay. A, a fistula is when uh, okay, so, so they they cut in and they make a a hole for the dude in the kind of like, you know, that area. Mm -hmm. They make this like fake vagina, right? And um, and so there is a lot of of trauma that happens and it's it does act like a wound and keep trying to close up so they have to constantly dilate it right and um there is this grossness that that happens sometimes because when there is like a hole that's not supposed to be there that close to the rectum the body will naturally create a link between the two and so now you have stuff from the rectum leaking into this bonus hole you guys and um Wrecked him, damn near killed him. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, like they actually can go septic. So hey, um, but but this is like these are some of the serious side effects, and we want to make this man-made fake creation that is 
hugely flawed um, on the same level with, with women who are able to bring forth life. It, it, it just, to me, I just, I feel there is like this deep offense I feel as a woman where it's like you are trying to erase us from the left, from feminism, you are trying to erase women. Well, um, there's another there's another aspect of this, and then I want to switch, because a lot of what we talked about here has been kind of like the, the trans component and how feminism, I mean, I'm going to say it right now, feminism is doing more to prop up the trans movement than than anything else in society. It's feminism. It yeah. is, it is yeah. not... It is not anything. It is feminism is doing the most to prop up the trans community, which again, to so many of us seems horribly contradictory. Um, the other one that we're starting to see right now too, is this whole idea of, of trying to load up men on hormones in order to get them to lactate. And then you find out in some of these situations, I'm not accusing all of them, but in some of these situations, you find out that there, there was one where all of a sudden you look back in this guy's record and he has, all, he has this fetish with respect to Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm saying this. He has this fetish with respect to nipples. And now this guy is working extra hard in order to be able to breastfeed a child. And th- so he's got that on his social media. And then also on his social media is him using nipple clamps and seeing how hard they can hug, tug on them. And like, this is a, and this it's is like, a it's getting the, you, you off thing you, for guys. Yeah. You can't tell me this guy isn't using breastfeeding as a way to basically push kind of a, a, He's using the baby as a tool for his own kink. Yeah. And it's it's simply disgusting. It's child abuse. It should be prosecuted. Like why are women why are women feminists on the side of this garbage? Like I, I was I was listening to something saying, you know, most of us won't have a glass of wine when we're pregnant or when we're nursing. Um we're careful about what we put in our bodies. But you're going to fill this, pump this man full of medication that is going to cause him to lactate and then force a baby to drink out of that? And some of the chemicals that they use, the medications they use, have been linked to heart conditions in the babies that drink the milk from it. But they're going to be like, it's his right to have a baby. They don't It's care. his right to rent they a womb don't. and then have that baby suckle on his... Okay. It's because of mental health. Yeah, it right. really is. So, so we, is- we've definitely. So what, here's here's my question before we move into the whole kind of like boss component of this, right? Why do you guys think? Why do you think that you know kind of that extreme version of feminism, right? We're not talking about Susan B. Anthony, all right. We're we're not we're not talking about women that are fighting for voting rights and equal protection before the law and access to opportunity. We're not we're not talking about talking about. We're talking about this version of feminism. Why do you think that they are are so dedicated? Um, so dedicated to this that they would go to such lengths to not only advocate it, but punish women. Like if you wanted, if you wanted like an example of a, of a, you know, a boss babe, right? I, I'm not trying to use the term babe, but just a boss, like total female boss. JK Rowling went from like living in her car to, I believe at one point, the richest woman in the UK, having started a franchise for which like Universal Studios has a whole park dedicated to it with the Harry Potter series. You want to talk about a woman that took her talents and her ingenuity in an incredibly difficult situation and became fabulously wealthy as a result of it, creating an entire iconic culture around this, this, this series of stories. 
And she basically comes out and make, and she's on the left. She is not a conservative. She's, she's not a, she's not a social conservative. She's not an economic conservative, but she comes out and makes some very, what we would have considered to be obvious statements if we were living in five years ago. Yeah. And now like she's enemy number one. Like they hate her more than they do like me. What, why do you think that is? Like why, why is feminism chosen that path? Because she was in the tribe and she betrayed them because it's not about the women. It's not about the trans. It's about the movement. Mm. And there's so much money on this side of we have to fight for X, Y, or Z or whatever they fight for today that she just didn't get in line. She didn't get the mem. Oh, oh, Tuesday. Yeah, I'm supposed to. Oh, you want me to say that? Oh, oh, okay. She didn't get in line. Yeah. That's it. It doesn't go any deeper. But she was a hardcore feminist before this. Yeah. And I want to look at that and go, you made this happen. You made your bed. So basically, J.K. Rowling was this hardcore feminist that wanted to basically minimize motherhood, minimize what what it meant to be a woman. So she set this ball into motion, right, along Mm -hmm. with the rest of the feminists. And then she suddenly went, oh, wait a minute. This is going a little too far. Now we're giving a bunch of these spaces to men. What is up with this? And and this biologically isn't working. So she had like a stopping point. But unfortunately, the monster she created did not have a stopping point. Right. And now she, the monster is turning and devouring her. And that's that's the way I see that. And, and one, this is actually a really good moment to go into. Um, feminism has, for the longest time, minim- minimized motherhood. It's minimized what women are naturally capable of. Um, it has basically told women that if you want to be a wife and a mother, you just want to be a wife and a mother? Well, that's not very significant. Don't you want to do something with your life? And being a wife and a mother is something you kind of get caught up in. It's it's not something that you do on purpose. This is something you you live your life and then you go and you you have babies later after you've lived your life and done a bunch of the stuff you want to do during your most fertile years and then you don't know why you have to have treatments to have babies in your 40s. Yeah, how is that working out for right. them? Right, yeah. exactly. Well, here, here's my question. What do you think feminism, so on the boss side of this, right? Let's 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 take all the trans stuff aside. Mm-hmm. We'll move over to the boss side. What do you think feminism prioritizes within, because we got things like, we got social, we got political, we got economic, um, you know, just status in general. What do you think feminism has come to prioritize? So if, if you're if you're a feminist, um, who who do you who do you think feminists look up to? Is it is it the activist? Is it the politician? Is it the is it the CEO? Like what what have they what have they put at the top <laughs> of the feminist hierarchy? Right? What have they put at the top of of the pyramid there? Activism. Activism. I absolutely think that's it. So you think you think I, I first think, female president versus? I think I yeah. think they put the whole women dominating spaces that used to be occupied by men, and now women are dominating it. And pushing men out. That is that is kind of, to me, seems like ultimate goal, except for when they want to push men into women's spaces. It's such a So it's cluster, not a, so, so for instance, if, if you had a, again, because some people would have argued that what original feminism was supposed to be about is removing legal barriers to entry. 
Right. And, and you can even argue yeah. that to some degree, removing social barriers, which is to say that society in, in general, understanding that no, women can compete for some of these positions. Women can, you know, go yeah, in. Yeah, that's and, not what it is anymore. Now it's actually thought control. You better think a certain way. And you yeah. got women that, that like have been screaming and screaming and screaming for like, you better respect me. You, you're not treating me right. And it's like, as long as you're screaming like that, and you're, you're doing this whole, you don't respect me. It's like, nobody respects you at this point. <laughs> Suck it up and do, do what you need to do. You know? So, so the old, you say the ultimate, you say the ultimate boss within feminist and feminist culture is, is not necessarily the CEO, not necessarily the, um, the, the politician elected official. It's the activist. Yeah. I, I definitely think it's the activist because I think the activist gets them the elected official which gets them the laws, which gets them the money. Oh, yeah. That, that's so how do you I, agree with that? Oh, 100%. The whole women-owned small business cut out crap. Yeah. And, so, you know. so, like, for instance, they're not going to look. I mean, we obviously, I, I mean, Gina has a career. We, we look at, um, you know, outside the home. And then, um, you know, we, we know women that are, you know, business owners and successful in the whole deal. You don't think they look at any of those people as, oh yeah, fellow travelers or examples or anything like that. You think it's primarily, it's the activist. It's the person that's dedicated their life, their actions to the movement. Yeah. Right. The Not person, necessarily right. the achievement of Yeah, because of a lot of the women who have the careers and who have done all of these, like who have done big things, a lot of them also at the end of the day, also raise their kids and mm -hmm. also figured out ways to, to, care for their home and ha household and have a husband and, and things like that. Um, but now we've got this new thing. Like I, I saw a video the other day of this woman going, here's how you make a baby all by yourself. You go ahead and you order from the sperm bank and then you thaw this out. You do this, blah, blah, blah. You wait till your little, uh, meter says this. And then you go ahead and like yeah. Turkey base this. <laughs> And so, <laughs> sorry, but is that a normal size this, turkey base this, or does oh it have God. to be longer? I, just, I don't think size matters we, in this. This is why we can't have nice things. Right. right. All right. I mean, I'm just, I'm just curious. <laughs> like, why? But, but the point is, is that, is that we no longer need men, blah, blah, blah. Women are the one with the beautiful, wonderful things to be worshipped and adored. And then. And now men are are wanting to become women because you know they want to also be worshipped and adored. So J James Co James Co Coleman, thank you very much for the donation. By the way, he goes, I would like to know why it is only women who suggest the repealing of the Nineteenth Amendment, but men always defend it. The Nineteenth Amendment being women's suffrage and the women's right to vote within the United States. So he's probably referring to like. Uh, Pearl from just pearly things. She she recently said that. She yeah, recently she well her her whole argument. All right, okay. <laughs> let me it's, just it's, let me just clarify right now. I definitely do not this, advocate Nick? for the repeal stop. of the women's right you to vote. You stop. I'll say it. All right. That way you don't get yourself in trouble. Well, what Pearl said. Pearl yeah. said that she basically thinks the Nineteenth Amendment screwed everything up and it shouldn't have happened. <laughs> also. I think she also says 5% of women at that time were all there was that wanted the right to vote. So, well, okay. I mean, let, I don't know let, let's about all that. Let's but. assume it's a lot. Listen, I, I'm, a, I'm a very big believer that, in, you know, in individuals, men or women, they have, they, they have their agency and they should, again, provided that they haven't violated any laws, which would take them outside of that eligibility right. to vote. 
they've reached the appropriate age, they're a proper citizen within the area in which they're voting. They should have a say with respect to the government that is going to be making the laws which govern them. I, I think this is perfectly acceptable. Pearl will say things like, well, wait a second, if, if you're going to give special privileges or you're going to allow people to be exempt from certain responsibilities, such as the draft or things like that, right. then you're not actually fighting for equality. You're fighting for privilege. You're fighting for a privileged status within society where you get to make the rules without bearing some of the necessary responsibilities, i.e. the security of the state, et cetera. Like that, that's her, that's like a, I think a fair interpretation of what her argument it's, was. It's humorous. Yeah. You know, like, oh, you it's shouldn't provocative. have, yeah, you shouldn't have the right to vote because, you know, you're, you don't make up 80% of, or 50% of the military. Okay. That's fair. I understand that. My, my counter to that, because I do think it's just provocative is yes, but there's a lot of women who have sent their sons off to war and that's also a Oh, there's a lot of women happen. that go to war. So, there's a lot of women that go to war. Again, the reason why I think it's, it, it, I, I wish she wouldn't do it because there are certain things. So to answer the question why, you know, women advocate or men defend it, the reason why I defend it comes from a, a, a moral position that the, the people that are going to be governed by a particular body um, should should have some say, yeah. you know, again, with, with the caveats I mentioned before, you can't break the law in a certain way that would, would take away those, those, um, that accessibility to the political process. But better than that, no, I don't, I don't want to leave anybody in a position where they're now subject to the laws of the land for which they had absolutely no mm -hmm. say in, in, or some say, um, in, in helping to generate. And, and, and honestly, I think when she does do that, I think it, I think it hurts the larger argument because it allows, uh, even though I appreciate a lot of the other things she does and says, I think it, it allows um, the whole idea of the traditional wife, as opposed to like, you know, the, the, the boss uh, move to, to be caricatured and there. Oh, all this is, is, you know, patriarchy and, and, you know, authoritarianism and keeping women in their proper place. And that place is going to be defined by everybody, but women. Right. Um, and so that's why I think, I don't think it's helpful. Honestly, I, I think it's, I think it's harming to the overall, overall discussion. Well, on the left, uh, one thing I was mentioning is, is that uh, doing this whole minimizing motherhood, minimizing, um, certain natural things that only women can do, um, you know, contrary to uh, what the feminists are now saying. But there is a video that I I shared. It's the Chelsea Handler video. Oh yeah, is that one available? Oh, gosh, what a just we beep some so, of this. So no, it, it's she doesn't beeped. actually cuss. Uh, well, so she the, cusses, she, but it's, she's kind of an, she's kind so of this idea of the independent boss. Woman. This is kind of the boss move thing where she's childless by choice, and she basically goes through and talks about how much better her life is and more fulfilling her life is than uh, the life of a mother. So here we go. The day in the life of a childless woman. I wake up at 6 a.m. I remember that I have no kids to take to school, so I take an edible, masturbate, and go back to sleep. I wake up at 12.30 p.m. and get ready for a busy day of doing whatever the f I feel like. I put on my most impractical and stylish shoes since I won't be chasing a child around the grocery store. I go to my fave spot in Paris to grab a croissant. I do a meditation sesh on the plane since I have no screaming kids allowing me all the time in the world to become enlightened. The weightlessness of my existence has granted me superhuman powers. I teleport myself back home. Then I get ready for a night out with whatever hot guy I met on Raya that morning. 
I call up a babysitter and tell her that I don't need her since I still don't have kids. Now it's time for a workout, so I hit Mount Everest for a quick climb. I invent a time machine, go back in time, and kill Hitler. Freeze, you bastard! It's amazing what you can do when you have this much free time. Apparently and that's a day in the life of a childless woman. Oh, yeah, okay. uh, apparently there, she never learned how to shoot a gun based there off is of that a, depiction. There is a point in there where she says, the weightlessness of my existence. What she means is the lack of substance of her freaking existence. Everything she said in this. Now, I know this is just a skit, okay? But, like, literally everything she said in this is make-believe bullcrap, except for possibly the fact that she masturbated that morning. But Like, she didn't even go to freaking Paris. You're not teleporting. You're not jumping on an airplane just for a croissant. And you're not... Going back in time and killing Hitler, unless unless, unless something happened where I, that, I didn't know this happened. That's not true. The other thing that's possibly true about that is she probably did have an edible. Uh, she probably okay. ate an edible. Okay, yeah, that's true. And then she probably like okay, hallucinated we, the rest of it. Yeah. And definitely probably texted some dude to come up, over. For a booty call. And so, wow, what an existence. What an existence. But the sad thing is she doesn't have children by choice. And a lot of the feminists are pushing that timeline. They're not telling young girls, oh, don't have children ever, if that's what you want. Yeah. They just keep on pushing the horizon down for them yes. until it's literally too late for them. If you find that you would like that accessory for your life, uh, you can do it later. Like a child is yeah. an accessory. And and now it's like you're going to have to go on all this medication and stuff like that to try to even have a baby. And then now we're not even allowed to talk about the fact that your biological clock is not in the best position to have a child who doesn't have a lot of birth defects in your 40s. I mean, you're on birth control not to have kids. Makes you a little crazy. Yeah. You get off of birth control to have kids and... Now you're having more hormones to have the kids, and people are wondering why 35-year-olds are a little off. <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, I, I think it's also interesting that with, with birth, birth control, so I, I forget which, um, they've done a couple of studies on this too, where they found situations where the, the sort of man that women were attracted to on birth control versus off birth changes. control were, was significant. Yeah. So they men, men with, um, let's say, not as sharp, fe softer features, uh, men that um, might, you know, just look not quite as masculine as other men were, were more attractive to women on birth control. When they were off the birth control, they wanted more masculine men, more square, square jaw lines, etc. And it was, it was an inner, and again, the, you believe whatever you want, do whatever you want with respect to any of this. It is important to note that that distinction is there, that, w that when something like this is done, the only effect is not reducing your, your chances of pregnancy. It, it is actually, messing with your hormones with respect to what you find attractive. And I, I yeah. think that's interesting and something that people should be aware of. I'm not trying to take away their ability to do what they want, but right. at least be honest about what the actual effects are. You're not even allowed to talk about how bad birth control is for the female body now because uh, that's slut shaming now. Can't, like everything's can't do slut that. shaming. No. Yeah. What do we but, have next? Like, oh, but, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say they also are now linking maybe this is why the divorce rate is so high because yeah. women marry the men while they're on birth control. They have a child and then they wake up and go, Oh, 
you're you're the wrong one. Dang it! I mess. <laughs> I made it with a soy boy, and I didn't mean to. And right. that's the thing is, these women soy are on boy? birth. Yeah, soy boy. Like women. Okay, so here's the way that this works out, guys. Okay. The logical outworking is. Women are on birth control because they want to be able to have consequenceless sex like men do, whatever. So, okay, I'm not knocking anybody that's actually on it for other reasons. But anyway, because um, there are other reasons like regulating your cycle and things like that. But women, birth control, you meet the guy. He's a soy boy. You don't realize it because your brain is tweaked and hormones are strong. And so then you get married to this dude. You make babies with the soy boy now. Whereas in, in real, like, like in the wild, you would have gone for the more manly of the man, men. And so now this has produced more soy boys by the nature of this. Then she's not happy. She wants a real man. Doesn't get the real man. Ditches her soy boy guy. Gets back on birth control. <laughs> I don't know. This is just. It's just a dangerous cycle. This is dangerous how we've cycle. ended up with so okay. many soy boys. Next All right. So now we're now we're going in. Now we're kind of transitioning into some of the this the women good. on the more like, again the traditional side. Um, and, and again, part of what we're going to have to do here too is actually define what does it mean to be on the traditional side. Not to mention the fact that we might have a special requirement both for our audience here as well as our guests because there has been some consternation about some? the term. Trad wife. Nobody trad apparently wife. No likes word. trad wife, which is short for traditional wife. And we'll be going over that. So what I want everyone to be thinking about as we talk about this is, is there a different term that we could use for, quote, trad wives that we would like better than trad? Because I, I agree, yes. it does sound a little bit disappointing. Anyways, so let's go, let's go talk to some of the people, some of the women, some of the influencers on the more on the traditional side of the house. All right, go ahead. I've got to unmute it is a problem is toxic yes i don't think <laughs> why it's literally like a supremacist group it is they're it's talking about feminism it's feminism a cult it's just crazy absolutely it's, crazy. it's rooted Whoa, in brokenness based. hello Does all right teenage girls right now more than ever before are starting to struggle more than teenage boys in modern america particularly with mental health so teenage girls are starting to see higher levels of anxiety higher levels of depression and in 2021, one in three teenage girls seriously considered unaliving themselves because of the culture that we've created right now, which is so ironic, right? Like, wouldn't you think this culture that's all about women doing whatever they want, we say that we live in this world, and at the same time, the next generation of women are so unbelievably miserable and right. unhappy and discontent in today's society that they don't even want to be here. Do you think... Okay, that that's a... Thoughts. She even has the... Those girls in the whatever podcast are club girls. They are naturally on the left. And even they, they have a problem right. with where feminism has gone. It's a cult. That's what they're saying. Well, and, and so here, again, one, one, would, one would think, right, if the Gloria Steinmans of the world were correct, uh, and Gloria Steinman was obviously a, a huge leader within the feminist movement in, in the 60s, um, what, it, is it reasonable to assume that if the various achievements of feminism, and, and I think it would be absurd for anyone to suggest that feminism hasn't achieved anything since, you know, prior to the 19th Amendment to the Constitution, right? I, I, I struggle to find any legal prohibition 
on, on women being able to engage in just about everything, which is why so much of this argument, I think, is moved. Um, it's moved from the legal prohibition and equal access and equal justice from the, before the law to an idea that, well, society has not caught up to that, which is why we continue to need set-asides for women-owned small businesses. It's why we need to continually have you know, different set-asides in, in, in other areas within academia, within businesses, why it's demanded. Norway went so far as to actually pass laws saying that you had to have a certain number of women on your corporate boards and things like that. And what Peter, Jordan Peterson pointed out when they were talking about the Scandinavian countries who have probably done more than any other country in the world to legally impose equality between the sexes, what he finds is that, or what they found through studies is that the choices that individual men and women make within those societies is actually far more different than in societies that have actually done less from, from a legal standpoint. So what he's saying is, is that the, the contrast between what men and women choose in those countries where, forget legal prohibitions, legal requirements to impose equality, you actually get less women voluntarily wanting to go into some of these spaces. They're actually choosing something very, very different than what the feminist movement has suggested they would want. So here's my question. And I, I know we have some other clips to go do, but again, there's been a lot achieved from let's say the 1920s to the 2020s. Why is it that one, that the bar keeps seem to getting moved on, on what, I mean, you, you talk to a modern feminist right now, they only speak of the patriarchy as if it's worse now than it's ever been, right? Um, or at least that's some of the more hyperbolic language. Why do you think it keeps shifting? And why aren't women, and specifically younger women, happier if theoretically they're, they're growing up in a far more enlightened environment than their grandmothers or their mothers were? Okay. I really don't know how to make this any clearer. Okay. They can stop now. <laughs> they, they can absolutely stop. Feminists, stop. Just stop. Because you've done enough. <laughs> and, yeah, equal pay, equal work, cool. You're good. You're done. Everything that you continue to add, as a woman, you make my life harder, not easier. And I think the younger generation is actually starting to see that. They're starting to see, like, wait a minute, now, every time I go and I get groceries and I'm trying to get through a door, it gets slammed in my face. I don't, like, guys are getting meaner about it. Yeah. And it's like, oh, they think that memo is somewhere along the lines of, I do nothing now for you. You're a woman. We, we, I don't have to give up my seat on a, a train. I don't have to open up a door. Now, that being said, I do think people treat you like you allow them to treat you. But I do think that they should stop. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, okay, just stop. I think they want supremacy, not equality, first of all. Better, yeah. Yeah. And do they no, honestly believe they can achieve that? Yes. They don't care. Let me explain <laughs> why they don't care whether they actually achieve it or okay. not. That is because there is a lot of money to be made in this grift. And they are. There is, I mean, there is always somebody getting paid to bitch about being, you know, a woman and how the patriarchy is trying to keep them down. And so it, it's a grift. There's there's money to be made in it. Um, there it's it's a following. It's a cult now. You always need something new to be upset about and complain about. The perpetually offended. Oh yes, forgot about that. The yeah. whole I'm offended. That has to be so exhausting for them. 
Yeah. Like it's the how, true vibe. It's yeah, like, like I'm how, just, every moment of every day you're this offended that that has to be exhausting. Stop. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've actually met women that like seem like, man, are you ever happy? You are just wow. Like toxic to be around. You're always angry. You always have a problem with everybody. And that's, I feel like women that are like that just got, like gravitate to this movement. And, and they're like, Ooh, I just, I'm so angry. I have so much pent up aggression in my mind. I'm going to go ahead and put my force somewhere and, and like push it this direction and, and gain followers that are, are going to tell me how, um, how right I am and how the patriarchy sucks and, and like women should be worshiped. And, and it's always someone else's fault. It's yeah. never, it, it, it can't possibly because you're a horrible human being. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's you have yeah, you're on. just a, you're just a jerk. <laughs> well, yeah. this, this, that's so, why people treat you bad. This, yes. this is why one would, one would think then one thing when you look at, um, the dynamics between, say, right-wing and, and left-wing politics. Right-wing politics in the United States tends to focus on things like individual liberty, um, you know, private property rights, free market right. economics, um, you know, limited constitutional government. Um, and, and, and essentially, you have, a, you have a right to do what you want to do, provided you're not infringing on the rights of others, right? These are kind of like the base level. Different people believe this and follow this to different, you know, conviction levels, but that's that's kind of the base philosophical thing on the left it, it's more collectivist in nature right mm-hmm. and and I've, I've just been arguing with uh, toby on here because he's saying that you know we don't understand the problem with collective rights like, there's no real such thing as collective rights all rights have to have to start with the individual right there's no such thing as these positive rights in the sense that the government can just confer rights which by that they mean deprive other people of um you know their their labor or their property in order to prop up other people so when you see the, the left-wing political, which is very, very focused on the collective, very, very focused on political power as the primary way to organize society. So it's not free people working in cooperation within the marketplace in order to build things or create things or educate or provide health care. No, no, no. Yeah. It's all through collectivized government provision of services. I, I feel like feminism now is like so, it, it wasn't always this way. If you look at the 19th Amendment to the Constitution like that, that was that was actually supported by the Republican Party in this country and it was overtly opposed by the Democratic Party. Now, you can make argues about, you know, whether or not they were more conservative or progressive at that particular point. But let's let's face it that, you know, <laughs> Woodrow Wilson, when I was considered one of the first major progressive presidents within within the country. So let, let's not pretend like there's um, that, that didn't exist. Why is feminism like so solidly? You know, on, on the left now is is it is it be, is it just this um, is it just this fight against tradition, or is it that it, it has been co-opted by a political ideology, which is rooted in the idea of breaking down the traditional family, rooted in the idea of, of breaking down what might be considered traditional gender roles, and so therefore modern feminism fits very neatly into this kind of critical theory world. Yeah, I yeah. think that was a good sum up, because. It, it is a leftist thing now. I mean, right-wing women, we don't like being called feminists because we're not. Because feminist is a dirty word to us. I am not a feminist. They, they're disgusting. I mean, yeah. y- just look at what the examples we showed you. And, and those examples, those are not even obscure ib- examples. We're not cherry-picking here. Like, you guys saw the Women's March. You saw Madonna sit there and talk about how she wanted to blow up the White House. These are disgusting women. They're gross. And they get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> they get away with and, it. And, but here's the thing, guys, is that it, it, 
it's not all bad, okay? Because we're going to show you a few, some women that actually get it. And there is this new movement of women getting back to, it's not that we're trying to regress and go back to like the 1950s or whatever. It's that we're trying to talk about the difference between being feminist and being feminine. Mm. There's a difference and being feminine, I, I like. And we, we need to get back, kind of get back to that softness that only women have, that that nurturing spirit that women have. So anyway, we can kind of get move on to some of these I other got, I got one we got a question from James Coleman again James thank you for the donation he goes I don't know how to put this delicately but how does how does one do family planning without birth control as my wife and I would have children a lot sooner than we would like and a lot of children so again so it, it, hmm. you know well yeah, <laughs> that would be under uh, family planning uh, the Catholic diocese has a wonderful <laughs> yeah this is this is, on. this is where this is where gino so yeah gina's catholic well what is what is the what is the catholic i, I think is the they work off of a system similar to the rhythm, like the method. Cycle or rhythm yeah. method okay and they just try to avoid um degrees where there, there's yeah. a higher propensity for yeah, yeah. obviously you know, again we're trying to make this delegate right obviously yeah. there, there's there's certain times during the month where pregnancy is is far more likely to occur yes. than other times. Um, and, and so, you know, you just avoid those times. Yeah. Th yeah. So that, that's, that's, that's one appeal. Again, I, I, what I'm, what I'm trying to stress here is that I'm not necessarily telling someone that there's, there's, you shouldn't use any form of, of birth control. There's, there's, you know, again, this is a difference between yeah. the Catholic worldview and maybe, uh, you know, certain branches of Protestantism. Um, but I, I, I think it, it comes down to, understanding the risk associated with what you're doing and also understanding that certain forms of birth control actually do in the pregnancy after conception. And, and that, that's, that's very important to, to distinguish here because if you're, if you're engaging in a form of birth control that ends the pregnancy after conception, it usually prevents implantation. I mean, that, that raises some real moral questions with respect to what is, what is happening to a, a child in that process. Uh, there, there's other birth control methods that take oh, place before I conception. Totally obviously. forgot abstinence yeah, yeah. well he's talking oh about within, he's talking about within marriage right within marriage and well, you, uh, could, you could just cuddle you could just no cuddle. you cannot <laughs> whatever there is no abstinence in marriage give me a break um you, you could just cuddle one night yeah the, oh. yeah I, i'll tell i'll tell you the 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 yeah the abstinence i participated in during my marriage was during combat tours <laughs> yeah yeah like even the bible talks about it it talks about not denying each other and yeah. um and only um, only if it's mutually agreed that you need time to pray and fast yeah. for something, that's the only time to abstain yeah. and otherwise do not deny your partner. So it's, I will say we this, look, I, we I, don't deny our partner. Don't look, fun. I will say this, this, this is a, this is a tough question. I don't mean to make light of it because obviously this is that sort of activity. Again, I believe, I believe that, that again, that sort of activity is only appropriate within the bounds of a marriage between a man and a woman. That's morally, that's what I believe. Um, so I would say that you, you already find yourself only engaging in that activity when it's with someone that you've at least made a lifelong commitment to that you love, that presumably you love, respect, honor, cherish, et cetera. And you, you have now a mechanism which is ideal for raising children, and that's a mother and a father. Um, so if, if something happens, so if you decide to use a method that isn't you know, a, a form of uh, chemical birth control, um, and, and again, I, I, would, I would highly encourage you to use one that doesn't take place, that doesn't in the pregnancy after conception, because I, again, I, I believe that's morally problematic. 
Um, so just, just be aware of what's out there from, you know, different methods and whatnot, and then choose appropriately for what works for your family. All right, let's move on to the next uh, clip we got here. Jedediah. Women will say, women are oppressed. How? They say, well, I'm not going to sit here and tell you if you don't know, because there's no answer for that. How are women oppressed? Tell me how in 2022 women are oppressed. I want a list. Put it, give it to me in list form. They have nothing to say. All they have to say is that I was told that they're oppressed. I was told we're oppressed. There's no examples to give. And that is a problem, and it gets exposed over and over and over again. Now, you can say historically something used to happen, but you're talking about the present, honey. You're talking about the now in this moment. Women are not oppressed today in the United States of America. That's not happening. It's not real. It's not happening. So there's going to have to be a come to Jesus moment with a lot of these young girls where they realize that what they're being told and what they're being fed is not true. How? Well, so okay. So hold on. Um, I I do want to caveat what she's saying real quick because there is a physical component where women are have more uh or sorry men have more ability to oppress yes those who are weaker than them than women do that is a component that is biological and will never go away. So if you want equality when it comes to the physical aspect, first of all, you've got to recognize red flags because there are women who are still abused in relationships that are are physically abused. Um, and those abusive situations, that particular woman is being oppressed. Well, I, it, that's got to be like, follow the red flags, make, make good decisions about who people are and get yourself out of that situation. That that's not society as a whole. Also, if you want to lessen the chance that some guy is going to tackle you in an alley and, you know, rape you and murder you and leave you on the side of the road, arm yourself. I feel like the second amendment is the women's great equalizer. And we should know how to shoot, know how to do it safely, get so used to handling that gun that, that we could do it in our sleep. You've got to have like, I guess you would call it like muscle memory. Get used to handling that thing. Get to where you know that you're going to be able to, to handle stuff. Okay. We had a situation uh, just a couple of weeks ago where someone came to our door. Nick was traveling. Someone came to our door yelling and screaming and was banging on our door, wanting in. And our AC was out at the time. And so I had windows open. This person could have gotten into the house if they wanted to. And I call Nick. Um, we call 911. You know, I I tell the kids to stay in their rooms. My, my daughter said, Mom, that was the scariest thing when you called me on my phone at 1 a.m. and said, stay in your room. Do not answer the door. I mean, it was terrifying. Okay, but what was I doing in this situation? First of all, I was securing my kids in their bedrooms, making sure that they did not go to the door. I had two firearms in my room racked and ready. So if somebody was coming into that door, they were getting unalived, Real quick. And that's only because she didn't know that we actually had a third one. <laughs> well, no, 
no. I just didn't rack and ready the other. I, I don't want to use something that's going to pierce through the walls and like hurt anybody else. I then just she wanna... would have to fix it. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> that is what I'm saying. Women, if you're uncomfortable with firearms, get comfortable. If you want equality, take your dang equality and stop whining and complaining and begging everybody to respect you. They don't respect you. Hey, hey Tina, <laughs> do you want a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Well, I, I think so. I, I, what you're saying is great. One of, the, <laughs> one of the distinctions here that and we, we get into this all the time where they'll say like women are, okay, are women oppressed in America in, in 2023? Sure. Of course, there, there are absolutely women living in oppressive conditions. There are women that are being trafficked. There are women that are in, in horribly abusive relationships that they don't know how to extricate themselves from because they're they're legitimately afraid for their lives. That's not the same as government or societal oppression, right? Mm -hmm. And these are one of, and this is an important distinction because if your standard for no oppression is it doesn't exist at any time at any point in the world, that's an impossible standard. If your standard is is that from a legal perspective. We, we don't have, you know, uh, legal oppression of people based off of their race or their sex or whatnot. I, I would say that not only is that absolutely achievable, I would say that we have largely achieved it. In fact, the only things that we currently have in law that discriminate based off of race or sex discriminate in favor of women at the expense of men. All right. That's just a fact. Yeah. Secondly, when it comes to soci like societal oppression, so theoretically you could have no legal oppressions on somebody, but the, the overriding cultural norms within that society um, can, can be so powerful as to prevent someone from being able to have access to, you know, whatever, social, political, economic access. Again, that's a little bit harder to, it's a little bit harder to define. It's a little bit harder to recognize because it, it is more subjective because, and, and this is the problem with the larger equity movement in this country is that the way that they talk about equity is, okay, well, how do you know inequity has taken place? Well, there's disparities. Okay, well, disparities is just, that's that's reality. Well, but shouldn't we fight for a better reality? I, well, I don't know. What, what, how do you intend to do it? Well, if, if the way that you determine whether or not a society is just is equality of outcomes, you are automatically engaging in inequality because now you're going to have to come up with legal codes to punish some people for their success and reward other people for failure. You're going to have to say we want to we want to completely discount the individual decisions and choices of people to include women in order to make sure that we have perfect representation. And as Peterson and others have pointed out, they don't want perfect representation. Nobody nobody wants perfect representation within bricklayers. Nobody wants perfect representation within plumbers or people that work on the sewers. Nobody wants perfect. Rep they want representation in those areas which achieve what they believe to be a certain degree of power, status, and wealth. Okay, well then, again, you're not looking for, you know, general equality. You're looking for privileged positions within certain spaces. And if the only way that if the only way that you believe we're living in a just society, if that's perfectly, you know, mirrored that okay, we got fifty percent women and fifty percent men, or fifty point two percent women and you know whatever forty nine point. If that's all you want, then of course you're going to have to have legal mechanisms in order to achieve that. Not to mention that you're going to have to convince women. You're going to have to, you're going to have to convince some women who don't want that that they have to have it. And and if we don't achieve that, then we're never a just society. And I think that's what Jada was talking about. It's this idea that where is the legal prohibition? Not to mention the fact that where is the overriding social or cultural norms within the United States that tell women you can't do that? 
Mm-hmm. I just, I'm sorry. I but don't. But at the same time, we have men entering women's spaces and taking over, taking over the sports, taking over competitions. Miss U- Netherlands uh, crowned uh, their what male person as Miss Universe. You probably all saw the side by side of the runner up and the one that won. Oh my god! And the one that won is like this dude. It's a dude. Yeah. And. Anyway, and this is not the first time it's happened. Let's go to the next one so, because at the, what I keep trying to highlight is at the same time that we're trying to elevate women and like push the patriarchy out, on the other side, we're inviting the patriarchy in and taking over women's stuff. And so it, it's it is this mind screw. I do, have you guys ever seen the uh, Zoolander? Yeah, and Will Ferrell. Yeah plays like the Mugatu, Mugatu and he's like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Yeah. I, I have such a use for that GIF every single time. <laughs> like I feel like I use it all the time because I always feel like I'm taking crazy pills looking at this stuff. Well, that's because conservative women have been saying for years, but wait a minute, we can't do this. We, uh, you can't have trans people doing sports long before yeah. they started meddling and going to the Olympics and all of this other stuff. Conservative women have been saying this for years. And now the leftist, maybe feminist women are like, hey, you remember that slippery slope thing? Yeah. Yeah. I think you might have had... <laughs> Well, I think the right yeah. idea There's on it. certain and ones that are getting like half red pilled, but they still believe in all the other garbage that feminists believed in, like well, ripping your babies so. apart in their womb and not having children and being a wife and mother being like pretty much the worst sentence on earth. Like it's, it's so low. Why would anybody want to do you, it? You know, you're living in an absolute clown world. When a fourth wave feminist will say, we have a 25% gender pay gap and it could immediately be alleviated overnight if the right number of men just claim to be women tomorrow. Exactly. And that feminist would stand up and be like, look at that. We've achieved something. But they're living this contradiction. There is no logic in this place. Up is down. Down is up. Poor is rich. It's just crazy. Let's move to the next uh, (laughs) next, uh, video. Let me just get this straight. In the last few years, a biological male has been named Woman of the Year on several magazine covers. A biological male is referenced as a top-ranking female in our White House. A biological male was named the NCAA Woman's Swimmer of the Year. A biological male is making tens of thousands of dollars being the face of womanhood for Nike, for Tampax, for Bud Light, for (laughs) Kate Spade, and countless other companies. A biological male took home the award for Best Actress at the Golden Globes. Are we really still trying to make the case that feminism supports women when the feminists are completely silent and or cheering on? biological men taking over the space of women somebody spell this out for me so yeah yeah they're not concerned i mean like 100 yeah. i i don't even have anything to add to that like well i do uh quite frankly okay. i think what this proves mm-hmm. is that um gosh there's a lot of men out there that just seem to think we're better at everything to include being women <laughs> <laughs> oh See? tisk tisk 
This is where I get and canceled. The, the, yes. Men are better at everything, <laughs> is, even you, being women. women. This is where the feminists cancel me, and then I just say, well, no, no, I identify as a woman. And now I'm a hero, and you guys are turks. There's a guy that actually did that in a state legislature somewhere. Where was that? No, it, was it a board of su- Nick. Was it Board of Supervisors or it was what? The board of Supervisors. He he identified as a trans woman of color, <laughs> but nothing changed. And then he was oh, like, and he was a lesbian too because he he still loved his wife. Yeah, <laughs> they was like, "Don't talk to me like that." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody got up and started screaming at him in the thing. He's like, "I just I don't understand why I'm not being elevated for my bravery and courage." And, and he t- hasn't let go of it. He is still writing this thing out. I told Nick, "Hey, in the Virginia legislature, you should just come out as as woman, like a woman, just." You should do that. That would be hilarious. I'd so. rather identify. Can I just identify as Speaker of the House? That'd be great. <laughs> like, I mean, let's just skip all of it. If I have a deep psychological conviction that I am, in fact, the Speaker of the House of Delegates of Virginia, and anybody denies that or denies the mm-hmm. requisite powers that go along with that belief, then clearly what they're engaging in is exclusionary behavior, which I interpret as violence. And so I'm the victim here. Well, the next video kind of uh, highlights the idea that there are a lot of these women that are abandoning like true femininity. Um, but then they are like doing like the boob thing and like having everything like just show and like basically put everything out on a platter for the men. Um, but pretty much there's nothing, nothing more to you. Uh, I think this one addresses. Okay. I like this one makes you valuable. That's all you got, honey. You got this. That's weak. That's weak. And the, the woman who stands out, maybe she will have that. Maybe she'll be, you know, attractive, but she'll also want to be supportive and loving and kind and, you know, raise a family and be a great mom and be smart, can have a, you know, an intelligent conversation and, you know, offer a, a, a helpful opinion on projects and all of these things. So this whole like this, do guys get to do that? So you say to a guy, oh, what do you bring to the table? Can you imagine? What do you bring to the table? And the guy's like, this. The <laughs> <laughs> would be like, um, so who pays the bills? And um, what does your car look like? And what kind of job do you have? And are you going to take care of the family? What? <laughs> yeah, all this. Yeah. All this. All this. I know. Yeah. Hold back. All this. Hey. Yeah, I got nothing. It, I it agree just, with her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, because it, it does seem like uh, one of the reasons we show some of these women is because there is this misconception that women have all gone this route and they have all become these awful human beings, right? But that's not necessarily true. There are women that really do get it. There are women that. Um, that don't like what feminism is offering them, and they actually love men. Like there are women that find value in men. So okay, look at Aaron Moss in the comments said, "Never met a woman who was supportive and kind." So we've Try got Try another neighborhood. <laughs> well, this is so I get that's I, such an indictment on on women, and and can I just say I've seen it. I've seen like I know women, even in, even Christian women that totally rag on their husbands like they can do no right. And I'm just, it, it's like, gosh, how do you live like that? Like, how do you not, how do you, how do you operate in a, in a situation where you just clearly 
are so annoyed and put off by your husband all the time. Like, how does he handle life with you if you're going to be such a shrew all the time? Well, you know? I, I, so I, I mean, I think that's fair. I also I, like I get in trouble sometimes from from guys where they'll be like, why are you always, you know, ragging on men to do better and be, be better and do and it, honestly, I'll, I'll tell you the answer right now. It's, it's very simply because I think men being what they're supposed to be is critical not only for men, but it's also critical for women. Um, and because I do believe that I, I do believe that men are supposed to be leaders within their household. And so I, I constantly dig on them. It's like, no, you got, you have to be better. And then, and, and I completely understand why a lot of men will say, okay, well, even when I'm better, it seems like the pool of women that actually want to join me in this journey is, is ever diminishing. And, and the next question I will usually ask them is, where are you looking? Because if you're looking on the whatever podcast or fresh and fit, or right. you're looking within the clubs, then you're looking in a horrible place. And some will be like, well, I'm looking in my church, change churches. Like, I don't know what to tell right. you, man. This Find a younger gonna, congregation. This is going to be right. something, this can be, there's a reason why they have this whole thing called passport bros now, right? Of, of people, you know, finding wives overseas. They, 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 here's the only point I'm going to make. Just one. I, <laughs> I cannot, I cannot, I cannot get over this idea that I cannot get over this idea that you can't control things that are beyond your control. So focus on the things that are within your control and then go put yourself in the orbit of other people that share those values. And that's going to give you the best opportunity to find what you're looking for. There's no alternative. You, you can get mad. You can be frustrated. You can be legitimate in all those frustrations, but there's no alternative. Right. So if you're, if you're a dude, right, it's okay. You need to make yourself spiritually formidable. You need to be, you need to be competent. You need to be intellectually formidable. You need to be physically formidable. I mean, I'm not saying you got to be you know Rambo or nothing, I'm just, but you should be, you should be keeping yourself in shape. You should be doing all of these things to attract the sort of woman that you want. And then putting that in the orbit where you think is the best odds to find that woman. And, and again, you can completely be legitimately frustrated with what the feminist movement has done, not just for the feminist movement, but for womanhood in general within the West and specifically within the United States. But that's not going to make you feel any better. And it's not going to actually change you know, the, the, the trajectory of your life by just being upset about it. Um, anyway. Well, I do think that there are a lot of women who, and men, uh, to be fair, that l do not realize that we live in the United States. We have totally won the lottery here. Where our our life, um, how we do things, how housework is done, everything is significantly easier. Now, does life really still suck? Yeah, life sucks sometimes, which is why you find a mate so it sucks less. That's the, that's the bar. It's not a Disney fairy tale. I mean, I personally have a really good marriage and I'm really happy, but that's because I value peace. And <laughs> I just value, you know, like, is it worth it? You choose your battles. Yes. You know? Is it really worth it? No, it's not. Like any woman right. can nitpick if she wants to, but imagine if he was nitpicking. Like, oh, I look bad. at myself yeah. and I'm like, ooh, there's a lot to nitpick here. I'm glad Nick's not a nitpicker. <laughs> but um, I, I, I totally agree. I, I feel like um, marriage, motherhood, um, mutually loving and respecting each other is, is incredibly fulfilling. And it's really sad that the left and feminism 
has denigrated these things and told women that these aren't things to, to want. Well, well, can I say, what, 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 I want your take on this because I think the most suspicious thing about feminism is not that they want to elevate women into positions of political or economic or commercial power or social power. I don't, I don't necessarily find that suspect. What I find suspect is that they seem to feel compelled to denigrate yes. women as mothers, as wives. It's the woman that uses the freedoms that have been afforded as a result of the early feminist movement to be, to have her primary career role, the raising of children, the keeping of a, a, of a home, um, taking care of her husband. They don't just say, hey, that's great. You go, girl. That was your choice yeah. and you did it and you're doing it wonderful and you do it the best way you can. No, they denigrate that as why aren't you taking advantage of all of the things that we've provided you through this right. movement? Why aren't you angry and out here protesting Absolutely. for more? That's what I find suspect. Well, here here's a perfect ex example of it. Like if I am in a group of women and they are my age, maybe a little younger, um, and I go, oh, yeah, I have, I have two kids, blah, 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 not even an eyebrow. If it's 35 or younger, ooh, now I have to pull out the, oh, I'm a chief of staff. Or before this, it was, oh, yeah, I'm formally trained as a pastry chef. Oh, okay, yeah. You she worked at a Michelin star restaurant, you Stop. guys. And <laughs> Hold on, Nick, how... The desserts were great. Oh my gosh! Were they okay? I'm over here trying to like take like a tiny nibble at a time, so I'm not making noise in the <laughs> in the microphone. What are, what are these things called? Apple tartlets. Apple tartlets. Okay. Look at this thing, guys. And the other thing is a look at that Napoleon. It's that's just, that's pastry with with apple slices like wrapped around within like hugging the pastry. Yeah, it's okay. Oh my gosh. <sighs> Yeah. Anyway. Okay, so finish your. I'm sorry, <laughs> we were admiring your work. Gym trip today. <laughs> but no, all I, all I was basically saying is, you got a pass for oh, you did something with your life. Yeah. By going to school, whereas older generations, it was fine, and that's the problem with younger women right now. They're being fed this line of oh, you could do it all. Yes. You can do it all, but not all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Yeah. Like, you can have your career. You should kind of have your kids first. Yeah, your biological clock is is something that's like a, this This is a hard, fast rule. It You are more fertile. You Your eggs are healthier. Everything's healthier. Your ability to carry a baby is is all in your 20s. And you become more high risk as you approach, as you enter and go through your 30s. And then in your 40s, it's called a geriatric pregnancy for a reason. There's but, a lot but more 40, problems. 40, 50, 60, we are living so much longer. You, you can have three more careers from the time you're 40 to the time you're 70. Yeah, my mom has. My mom had me at, uh, my she had my brother at 18 and she had me at 20. And I have got the youngest. I mean, she's she just turned 65 this year, and I'm turning 45 this year. So I love having it's a young. It's not a bad deal. Yeah, I love having a young mom. And, and 
it's, it, I think being a young parent is, is kind of where it's at. Like you've got the energy to do it at that point. I don't know, like any of you who've had kids know, like you need superpowers to be like awake <laughs> and like functioning. You're so exhausted that at first tw- year. At 22, you can so much easier live off of two hours of sleep. That's you right. Can. That's <laughs> right. I, I, try I'm doing that real. at 40. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, not now and, you're like a glass of wine. I'm tired. So I'm speaking, not knocking anybody that, that wasn't able to have kids until their 40s. Yeah, like yeah. be a mom. Like if you want to be a mom, be a mom. And and I, I think that's beautiful and wonderful. It's just um, it's it's less it's just less safe and, and less ideal than when you're young. So let's say so to that point, this next clip, this next clip is from Esty Williams, who actually got some notoriety for kind of like being a traditional wife on um, like Instagram and, and YouTube and all that. She's on the Michael Knowles show. Um, so we're going to go ahead and, yeah, we're going to do her clip. We're going to need audio there. Yes, yeah. we will. Why are we telling women, even starting out as young girls, that they need to have a life of independence? I know that this is an unpopular opinion and a lot of people are going to think differently. I think that that is a very toxic way to bring up a girl, to tell her that she can never depend on a man, and even if she falls in love with that man, um, always have a way of supporting yourself. So it's okay to get married and to buy a house with somebody to reproduce and raise a family with that person, but don't depend on that person financially. This, This idea is so twisted. We're constantly being told we can't trust each other. And men are being told they can't trust women anymore. That all women want is to be promiscuous and you can't trust a woman. Everybody's cheater. This, this, this is so toxic, you guys. I always said I wanted to be a homemaker. I wanted to stay home and cook and clean and live a simple life. And I was told that that is a very high calling for a woman. However, I should go to college, pick a degree, start a career, then get married then have children and then become a stay at home wife and mother. And that, that makes no sense. Why would I live my life that long single? Unless of course I didn't find the one until that time. We are meant to share this life with our soulmate, not be independent and lonely. A big part of sharing your life with somebody is trusting them. And if you can trust them with your body, sharing a home with them and raising a child with them, you sure as heck can trust them financially. And if you can't, you didn't marry the right person. Independence does not equal fulfillment. I would, my thoughts on that are, she she said something about you may not have married the right person. I don't think we use the same metrics or consider the same things when we are looking for a spouse as we used to. Would y'all agree with that? Elaborate on that. Um, Like, you know, I think my parents' generation, they looked for um, complementary characteristics in faith, in direction in life, in how many kids they wanted to have, in how they, you know, timeline for having kids, what they wanted to teach their kids, what they believed, what they aligned on, what they didn't align on. And I don't think as many of those factors are being taken into consideration today as they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. Could be wrong. What's y'all's thoughts on that? I agree with that. I think that people are chasing uh, like an emotional experience and um, and sort of chasing after this uh, stuff that makes you feel good. And there are times like 
the reason there's no longevity for a lot of people now is, is because they can't seem to stick it out when they're not happy. And there are days when you're not going to be very happy with each other. You're going to, you're going to be getting on each other's nerves. <laughs> yeah. And if you can't stick it out when, when, uh, when you have little conflicts here and there and like certain things are so annoying that he does or whatever, or, you know, you're, you're bickering ever over every little thing and can't really see the good stuff anymore. I mean, when you're really just chasing after how you feel and getting that feeling, that means you're just going to go from relationship to relationship to relationship because I got news for you. Like everybody has quirks. Everybody has little things that you're just going to have to get over it. And, and so, um, when it comes to those type of things, I, I feel like that's one of the reasons why, um, people make a, make a bad choice is because they're, they're basing it on the butterflies in their tummy and, and whether or not that person's gratifying some kind of need they have. And instead of actually having a deep, meaningful relationship where you're actually interested in, in what's going on in their mind, you know, like, like I love to look at Nick, you guys. I mean, he's hot. Um, he's just, mm. but the thing is, is that I love his mind. I love how his brain works and I love to engage with his mind and I love to know what's going on in his mind. And I feel like a lot of people at this point, they, they base it all on, Ooh, you know, they're kind of hot. I'd like to bag that. And, um, and, and we'll <laughs> just terrible. get over, we'll I get over like all the other piece stuff. of meat. <laughs> I know. But the, but the thing is, is I think people get too physical too fast. Yeah. And as soon as they get physical, they're no longer thinking about what's in the mind and they're no longer seeing some of the red flags they should be seeing because chemical reactions are happening in their body that feel really great. But they should be paying closer attention to red flags at that point and, well, and not be so physical. So I, that's I, the advice. I, well, be think, less physical. I think that's I, I think when that's, you're dating. Yeah, I think that's true. I think the other thing is, is that we, we've created and I think feminism is partially responsible for this. We've competed this competitive relationship between men and women. It's, it's this instead I, of complimentary. Yes. Yeah. Instead of competitive, instead of complimentary, it's competitive. And, and so when we, when you, when you no longer appreciate the fact that when you're going into a relationship with another person in, in the realm of a marriage, that different, you're there, there were attributes that you undoubtedly saw in the other person that you could not fulfill that go way beyond the physical. Right. And, and there's, there's a certain, there's a certain element there that when you appreciate different roles within that relationship and, and, this should not be treated as if it's nuts in any other thing you do, whether it's at your job, whether it's playing with a sports team, with what, if you're in an orchestra, people have different roles. Right. If everyone's competing for the same particular role, you have chaos and you have division within and nothing gets achieved. It's only when people recognize that there are certain attributes, characteristics, talents, and whatnot that, that help complete the, the picture and, and create the team and the function that, that actually exists there, that you're actually able to achieve far more than you ever would by yourself. But if you're going to compete with one another the entire time, my gosh, it'd be better if you were single. And, and I think a lot of people come to that conclusion. And the problem was, is they didn't, again, if, if you're not doing that appropriate prep work and understanding what marriage is and that, yes, there will be roles within marriage. And yes, it turns out the way God designed us, because I believe that's the truth, is that generally speaking, right, there, there's always differences among individuals, but generally speaking, men and women want, desire, need, 
different things to some degree. Mm-hmm. There's some things that they both need. There's other things that they, they value a little bit differently. And, and we've, we have this, this idea now, I think this really false idea. And again, I think feminism bears a lot of responsibility for it. It is holding up different attributes to say, no, this is what you should want. Well, I don't want that. Well, then there's something wrong with you. Why? Why is there something wrong with me? Because I don't, I don't want that. And I think what Esty's talking about right there is just that. It's, it's little girls being told. And, and what the experience that you shared earlier was this idea that at a certain age, if I said wife and mother, I was looked at by other women as having wasted something. Mm-hmm. Right. Can I, can I mention something here? The, previous, the, the girl that we just watched, um, she is like the quintessential trad wife. That's the, it's a trend. It's, it's this um, movement sort of thing where women are getting back to being a traditional wife. And there are a lot of women that do this. They're, they're baking bread. They're doing a lot of things um, uh, that are more like what you would do, what you would see traditionally women did in the past that actually they found joy in it and feminism kind of makes you feel like oh women were a slave to this stuff and they hated every minute of it well i there are some things like i do not like i i don't enjoy doing dishes i do it because i like a, i like clean dishes yeah. you know and there's there's certain things that you know they're not they're not necessarily fun okay but there is this movement where women are getting back kind of in touch with how to make their foods properly, how to grow food, how to like actually uh, do things that are of substance for their family. And the left hates this trad wife movement. Um, and and I will say some of this, like some of these things, like the, you'll hear the term cottage core, you know, where women are wearing a lot more dresses and they're they're trying to look more soft and feminine, which I, I really love that idea that like, I like wearing dresses and looking more soft and feminine. Now this, the girl that you just heard from, she actually does like the fifties boutique sort of appeal. Um, so she, for her, it's not just a way of life. It's also an aesthetic. It's her, it's, it's how she portrays herself, which, you know, everybody kind of has phases. Like you, you, you saw a few years back, you had like rockabillies, you've got the goth people, you've got, (laughs) you know, you've got like country people. And there's always sort of a costume that goes with whatever it is you're identifying with. You know, if you're country, you wear, you know, boots and a cowboy hat or whatever and jeans. If you're, you know, gothic, you wear all black and you weep in the corner. And with, um, (laughs) with, with the trad wife thing, it's, it's, it's this idea of wearing things that like accentuate your feminine figure, you know, trying to be feminine and soft and appealing in that way. And I well, want to notice- know, like from the guy's perspective, what is your perspective on the softer woman? Because the the general consensus has been so far is that sexy is the good thing. Like being like, like tough and like, like, so this, this female lethal, sexy, like fierce yeah, thing yeah, versus yeah, Laura Croft, like or, fierce, yeah. yeah, versus the cottage core, more soft and feminine, and um, and the dresses and the the soft that softness. What what is a male's perspective on that? So he, there was, I think you actually told me about that. There was there was a study once done with respect to men men's minds and the portions of their brains that were activated based off of how they saw a woman in various stages of dress and whatnot. And the idea was is that a, that a woman that was attractive but modestly clothed, 
And that doesn't mean wearing a gunny sack, right? It means something that was, uh, you know, like fit well, but, but professional and beautiful and the whole deal. There was, there was a different part of their brain that was stimulated essentially by that, that, um, what was kind of like a deeper form of attraction. Whereas the woman that was like kind of very provocatively dressed, right? Very, very uber sexy dressed. There was a different part of the brain that was stimulated, which was essentially the same way they would look at like a muscle car or a tool or whatnot. It was basically a mechanism for achieving gratification. So I, I think what's important to understand here is that it, it's not that a, a woman, it, it's not that it is an either or proposition. And, and I'm just speaking for myself, not an either or proposition. It's a question of what is presented to the world versus what is presented to me. Right. So for instance, I appreciate a, a woman. I appreciate when a woman wears a dress. I love it when Tina wears dresses. I love it when she wears stuff that accentuates her, her beauty and everything else. I appreciate that. I, I also genuinely appreciate it when it's also modest in nature. Doesn't mean it can't be beautiful or attractive, but modest, because what that does is it sends a message that my wife is beautiful, but she's not for you. Right. Just like I'm not for other women. I'm for her. Now, does that mean there's other occasions where I want it like something in a private setting that's a little bit more, you know, sexy? Of course, of course, because that's the question is like, what is appropriate for different venues and for different, you know, situations? So I, you know, again, it's, I, I think, I think a, um, you know, a, a woman in a, in a, you know, beautiful business suit, which is considered a little bit more powerful, a little bit more boss can look great, can look very, very attractive, like very, very commanding. And, and, it, and that can be very, very attractive. I think a woman wearing something that, that more of like a softer dress of that 1950s style, I, I think you're, I think you would be hard pressed to find men that don't appreciate the beauty of that and what that looks like, because it's also accentuating a different part of the of femininity that we also find very attractive. So, so one is a little bit more uh, focused on kind of that, uh, a power version, right? That, that powerful woman, which we still find attractive, despite what feminists want to say. The other is really more on, on what you might call the, the nurturing component of the woman, which we also find highly attractive. And then the other version, which again, as a man, we want exclusively for us. We want exclusively for us. That's more of the, the sexy side, which again, makes us feel, um, you know, when, when our wives do that, it also makes us feel desired. You know, the, it, scripture says, um, don't deny. And, and that's important. I don't believe you should deny. But nobody wants to live in a relationship where the only time that you do stuff like that is because you're not being denied through biblical command. Right? Women want to be desired by their husbands. Men also want to be desired by their wives. And so I, I think what it is, is it's not so much this either or proposition of you got to wear this, you got to wear this. It's what are you wearing at the appropriate time? And, and is that accentuating, I think, a, a very diverse components within femininity that men find attractive? We do find women uh, asserting the powerful aspects of their nature of attractive. We do find them insinuating the nurturing components of their um, um, effeminity attractive. We do find the more sexy forms of feminine nature attractive. But where are you doing it? How are you doing it? And for who are you doing it? And also it's, what are you saying? Yeah. Because I think beauty, there's a reason why they say beauty is skin deep because you could be a beautiful woman you open up your mouth and all you do is spew hatred or negativity or criticism. And that's, I, guess what? You go from a nine to a two. True story. And Because conflict right. is baked in. Right. So, you know, it, it, I think kindness and sweetness and what you're wearing makes a difference. 
but oh yeah, that's just me. Yeah. yeah. No, so so we so now, what does the left think of <laughs> this trad wife movement? Nick, you can go ahead and lead well, out on this. So what I think is oh, important, yeah. what I think You're is important is is not so much what is is not only what is being said, but where it is being said. This is in Teen Vogue. So keep in mind on, on who teen. the target audience is for this. Teen Vogue, which means they're directing this toward teenage girls. Yeah, so they're warning teenage girls. So here's the headline. Trad wife influencers represent an authoritarian sexist ideology. Notice it doesn't say some. It doesn't say most. It doesn't say could be. No, no. It's just positively determining this is what it is. This op-ed argues that trad wife influencers market an ideology that happens to align with right-wing efforts to erode women's rights. Now, we typically know what is meant when we talk about eroding women's rights in these situations. Because on its surface, a bunch of young women baking, folding laundry, and modeling cottagecore fashion on social media wouldn't appear to have much to do with the rise of global authoritarianism. But these influencers, <laughs> many of whom post using the hashtag tradwife, short for traditional wife, are stealthily political. In addition to sharing sourdough cookie recipes and tips on how to achieve a retro hair flip, influencers model what they believe a good Christian wife should be one who submits to her husband. With hundreds of thousands of followers, trad wives are becoming a cultural force, marketing a lifestyle and ideology to young people online. And the nostalgic vision that they offer for how society can be better is the same one evoked by a vast right-wing political movement working to erode democratic institutions, values, and norms. Holy crap. So we just saw that clip of S.C. Williams. That's what she's really trying to do here, people. She is trying to offer a nostalgic vision so that so, so are evoked by right wing political movement working to erode democratic institutions, values, and norms. I, I again, I, I like how they they always give the ball away, right? How to be a good Christian wife to submit to your husband. I got a question for the ladies, because you're both Christians. What is what is a wife submitting to her husband in Christianity? What does that mean to you, other than the obvious? attempt to erode democratic institutions, values, and norms. Okay. So submit to your husband. I I don't think it comes down to the whole, everything that comes out of his mouth, I'm like, oh, yes, dear, thank you. Oh, right away, um, put that on the list. That's not the idea of submit. Well, and I'm calling the Pope right now. <laughs> I know. but But it's really not. It's, you know... Someone at the end of the day has to make decisions about certain things. And I feel as though there are things that Jason makes the decision on. There's also things that I make decisions on. Mainly less important, but still. <laughs> well, it's, it's this idea that there are certain parameters where you operate. It's not like you ask him permission every time you do something because it's generally understood that within these parameters, you're free to make all the decisions. Yeah. It's just that when there's an impasse. Yes, but we, we have also about, you know, permission. We have always through our entire marriage um, have said, hey, babe. Is it okay? Me and the girls are going to go out tonight, or I'm going to go here. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. we do actually ask permission, but it's not permission like it's a courteous kind of like I I respect you enough to say, hey, is would this bother you? Mm -hmm. And he does it back to me. Like I'm sure that would make people on the left go, what? Yeah. But Tina. but it's just like Tina. That. What's your definition of? submitting to your husband 
as it talks about oh. Instagram. Again, other than the obvious, which is your your attempt to erode democratic right. institutions, values, and norms. Okay, so submitting to your husband is just doing everything he wants every time he wants you to do it. And that's all the time we have on today's episode. <laughs> Did you get that? Clip that. Clip that. <laughs> she said it. No, actually, um, I'm sure your Democrat trolls are like clipping it and giving it to your opponent right now. Um, no, I, I think that submission is such a complimentary role because like when the Bible talks about submission, it's talking about basically your decision making is with your husband, right? And 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 obviously he's got a burden of making the final decision on certain things. When the, when the Bible talks about a woman submitting, then it says that men are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Well, what did Christ do for the church? He laid his life down for the church and he, he, he loved us so much. He died for us. That's the calling that men have. And so, I mean, you've got women getting all mad because they need to, defer to their husbands in certain situations and um, and not constantly fight him on everything. Well, by the same token, he's got to make these heavy duty decisions that are affecting the family. And he's got that burden of making a good decision and it falls on him if it fails now. And so, I mean, there, there are certain things that I just operate and I just do things I go grocery shopping. I don't ask Nick how much I can, you know, spend grocery shopping. Like these are things that we already, we already know. But like if I, if, if there's going to be like a big purchase, we discuss it and he gets the final say on it. And, and oftentimes I've said this before that I have to be very careful with Nick because he is the type where if he knows I want something, he will make this happen because he loves me so much and he'll do it to his own detriment. And so I've got to really be careful that I'm not using that willy nilly. And it takes a woman to kind of go, I'm not going to walk all over this attribute that I love about my husband. I, I love that he's this way. Um, I love that he, he, he takes that on, but, but it's this recognition that it's not all about you. It's about what's best for your family. What's best for you guys as a, as a unit and, and, and making those decisions, mostly you make them together. But when it, when you're at an impasse, it, he gets the final say. So, well, I, I think it's I think it's interesting. This Teen Vogue, they're essentially putting anybody that gets in this trad wife component that's talking about um, more traditional versions of femininity, of being a wife, being a mother. Um, not not excluding working outside the home, by the way, but just talking about the virtues of being able to do that, that they automatically associate that with some sort of political movement to undermine democracy and 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 norms. Like that's the one I love, democratic institutions and norms. First of all, this is garbage. And then what do they tie that back to? Well, because that's the Christian version of being a submissive wife. Now, again, the overall problem with this is once again, we find feminism creeping in to try to convince women that, hey, any woman that's trying to tell you you know, have kids, take care of your husband, X, Y, and Z. They're trying to, they're not just trying to give you a version of femininity we don't like. No, they're trying to undermine all of democracy, right? Immediately goes up to level 10. It's DEFCON, you know, five. It's like, we're, we are, we're going to war people. Here's it. I just want to give, if, if I could real quickly, I, I had, I've told you this story before there. I was on a plane 
And um, I was I was flying out, and there was a woman on the plane, and um, we started talking because she was trying to read something, and her light was broken, and mine wasn't. So I said, "Do you want to switch seats so you you can read that?" She goes, "Oh, thank you. I'm going to a job interview. I just got married." And I said, "Hey, being married is awesome. I know that culture loves to trash marriage. I want you to know that I I love being married, and it and it's great." And she goes, "Oh." cool. How long have you been married? It was like 15 years. And she looks at me and she goes, you can't be that much older than me. I said, well, how old, how old are you? <laughs> she goes, well, I'm, I think she was like 29. I said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm 32, 33 at the time. I think whatever no, equals that 15, to 15 years. So 34, 35, 36, 34. 34. And I was 19. Remember? Oh, that's right. Nine. Nick was so, 19. I was 20. Yeah. So, um, I married younger so anyways, <laughs> so anyways, she, she goes, she goes, how do you, she goes, wow, you've been married a long time. How do you make it work? And I looked at her, I said, do you really want to know? And she's like, uh, yeah. I said, we have a biblical worldview of marriage. She goes, what does that mean? And I, and I started to go into this whole idea of I, I'm, I have to be the leader of my household. And she asked the question, why does there need to be a leader? So I asked her, I said, when you got married, did you say till death do us part? Yes. What happens when you disagree? Like what happens when you come to a disagreement? that you cannot, you cannot resolve it. Like my wife and I have been married at that point, again, 15 years. We had three kids. We had moved, I think, 11 times. We had gone through two combat tours, multiple other tours. I mean, like we had gone through a number of, we both grew up in divorced households. Like we had gone through a number of things that anybody on the outside looking in would have said, how are you guys not divorced? And yet I'm sitting here on a plane telling this woman how wonderful marriage is. And I say it's because of a biblical worldview and because there's going to be times within the marriage that you're not going to agree. How do you decide who makes the decision? I said, so, I, said, so what, <laughs> I said, so what you need to understand about this whole idea of leadership within the Christian perspective, and this, goes, this coincides with the submission component. It's not that I'm a tyrant. Right, it's not my word goes because my wife can always appeal to scripture. She can always appeal to an objective standard for morality, an objective standard for behavior, which transcends my authority. And if she can point to that and say you're wrong, I have to submit to that authority. So understand that submission is not submission to me as if I am the end all be all and I decide and that's it. And if I say it's good, it's good, and if I say it's bad, it's bad. That's not what it is. Secondly, the only way I'm able to assume that role and to be worthy of her to be submitting to that is if I'm also fulfilling my obligation, which as Tina already mentioned in, in Ephesians 5.25, it's husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the whole idea is, is that I have to be living and demonstrating leadership in such a way that is not only you know biblically correct, competent, but with her best interest, with her safety, with her needs and desires above my own. I said, that's that's the part that never gets talked about in this whole idea of leadership and submission. Some guys would call you a simp for that. But. They would. They absolutely would call me a simp. And they're full of crap and they're probably lonely. But the point is, is that okay. the point is, is that it, if you if you understand it from that that perspective, then when you look at this Teen Vogue article and they're trying to denigrate that, it what it demonstrates is they have no real concept of what the terms they're using actually mean, and they don't care. They don't care that they're, even if you disagree with everything I'm saying, at least accurately understand what these terms mean. And they, not only do they not want to accurately understand it, they don't want you to ever look at it or consider it. That's why they want to automatically associate it with this undemocratic, getting rid of social norms, denying people of women's rights. 
That is garbage. It is verifiably false. But if you can convince a teenage girl that anybody that is engaging in this sort of dialogue or offering up this sort of alternative to what the feminist movement tells them is essential, that they're now anti-democratic, authoritarian you know, tyrants, well, my gosh, you, you would never ask an authoritarian tyrant their opinion with respect to the concept of marriage. Why? Because they're an authoritarian tyrant. It's this word association where if you believe this, then you must be this. And they do that intentionally, not because they want to have a robust debate, but because they don't. Yeah. Again, this is why we're not feminists. Yeah, yeah exactly. Hey, let's move to the uh, Lila Rose um, one about, I think. Which one? It's this, kind of a response. I think it's a great one. response to. Yeah, yeah. Um, because as we said before that, you know, feminists tend to, the, the feminist left tends to denigrate um, motherhood and being a wife and things like that and and the fulfillment that women can get from that and they almost it's almost like like I remember for a very long time if I I I guess I I felt like I was constantly being um, uh, made to feel as though I had not accomplished enough because Less I didn't have a high-powered you know career in you know business you know at the tippy top of whatever firm you know and and so it was just like the first question out of everybody's mouth is what do you do what do you do what do you do what do you do and when I'm like oh I homeschool my kids and they're like oh I could never do that so anyway um it's it is a weird sort of relationship between between these these different types of of you know, womanhood where, yeah. where some have, have just put thrown everything into their career. Others have done sort of a hybrid where they've got a career and kids. And then others have decided that they're going to pour completely into their families. So, all right, let's watch this clip. Purpose of the man in a marriage is to love his wife sacrificially as Jesus Christ loves the church. And she submits to him under his mission, a submission. It's going under his mission. And his mission is not to go out there and just become rich or something. His primary mission is to love her and to raise their kids together. I think there's these excesses today in our culture where it's like the family doesn't matter, marriage doesn't matter, or there's the excess of, well, the woman is just meant to be the sort of like subservient person to the man and the man goes off and pursues whatever his calling or dream and his career and she just kind of follows him around. What is the mission of Joseph? To serve Mary and Jesus. What is the mission of Mary? To serve Jesus and to be protected by Joseph. Joseph and Mary were focused on family and they were a team to do it. But that orders what is the whole point of being a woman and a man in a marriage. Yeah. Now she has another one too that that basically I think it might be the next one. Yeah, let's go ahead and hit this one. Yeah, yeah let's, let's kind of top it off with this one. Economists have done studies to evaluate the economic value, the monetary value of a stay-at-home mom who's doing all these different roles and looked at, well, what if you had to outsource it all? Outsource the shopping, the cooking, the cleaning, the home organization, the errands, the child care. It would cost up to $200,000 a year. I think the number was 170 to 200. So the economic value of a stay-at-home mom is like $200,000 for all the things that she's providing for her family. Now, all those things in monetary terms, yeah, that's a lot. But what she's doing is far more significant than $200,000 worth of work. For a mother, your children are your most important work. You alone 
are the mother of your children. And that's why being a mother is the most important work. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, I mean, like I, I, I agree with that. And, and I don't like this idea that, um, being a mother is just something you have to do. It, it's, it's this something it's you do on. it's a distraction or a burden. It, it, like well, you escape motherhood by going to the workplace. You know, I, I, like every year I get so annoyed because I look at like Facebook and Instagram and all this every time school goes to start and all these moms are like, yay. And they, they're like, grab the bottle of wine and they're like, party over at my house, you know, whatever. And you've got like these these moms that just cannot wait to shove their kids off over to the state run school. And um, so they can have their life back. And it's just, that is sort of, that it's a toxic thing and it, and it kind of decays women's view of motherhood and, and their children. And it just does such a disservice to, I feel like to a, society as a whole. I, I feel like on one, I mean, you guys, you guys tell me what you think on this. I, I feel like on, on one level, it makes, it makes mothers who obviously every mother is going to go through days where they're like, Oh my gosh, I just want to drop them off at grandpa and grandma's and I'm going somewhere else today. Everybody needs a break once in a while. Everybody I'm needs not, a break. Yeah. No, no question on that. But it, it almost, it almost seems like once again is designed to make women who enjoy motherhood and, and really appreciate and value their contribution to not only feel like their contribution is, is insignificant or let's say less significant than, than working at an office for 40 hours a week, but, but also like there's something wrong with them if they enjoy it, like there, there's, there's something wrong. You know, again, if, if you're not thrilled about dropping your kids off so you can go do something else, then there's, there's something wrong with you. Or once again, you not only don't understand the value of occupation, you don't understand the value of enjoyment either. Or there's something wrong with you because you continue to do it when you don't enjoy it. Mm. There are times I do not enjoy like parenting. I don't, I don't like it when I have to get onto the kids and, and discipline them for things or when I have to get after them, you know, to clean their rooms or like, those are things you never enjoy, but you keep doing it because it's, it's good for your family. And I think that they don't understand the idea that you would stick around and keep getting at it even when you don't enjoy it. Well, also we're, we're told that this is what we have to do. Uh, women enjoying their kids how about women enjoying their husbands like that's oh, almost yeah. taboo oh yeah for, i enjoy my husband for, uh, <laughs> all night long all night long okay okay okay, okay. Over pg 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 <laughs> so anyway <laughs> but like it's taboo to do the whole yes i absolutely enjoy being with my husband going out places talking to him he's my uh, soulmate, and I hate saying soulmate, but he's my partner. He's the <laughs> love say, of your life. You yeah. can't say that anymore. Yeah. I like love of your life. Like, yes, he is the love of my life. But so many women are like, what do you mean? Why, why don't you want to go out drinking with, you know, the neighborhood girls? Because I like him better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. So yep. much fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's, play, let's look at the next clip here. We've got a few more to go through. Just a few more on the right, just just to give people hope for society. Oh, I love oh. this girl. Okay, here. Yeah. I just want to clear some things up for some people. I'm not a birthing person. 
I'm not a menstruating person, I'm not a chest feeder, I'm not a costume, I'm not a caricature, and I certainly can't be duplicated in 365 days. Makeup doesn't define me, and neither does what I wear, and for the love of all things good, don't call me a cis woman. I'm just a woman. And I did not get seven layers of my stomach cut open, bringing my son into this world, to be erased by Mr. Five O'Clock Shadow in a dress. We no longer have our own bathrooms, feminine products, sports, without mentally ill men claiming an identity that isn't theirs being shoved down our throats. Your girlhood videos where you mock us and your bottom surgery will never make you a woman. There's no logical reason why a man should be in partnership with tampons and sports bras. And acknowledging any male that says he's a woman and agreeing because it's the nice thing to do is being complicit in a lie. And at this point, I am just so tired of being told I must be accepting of such fairy tales. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Is that like just it. preach? Just <laughs> preach I, just, I just can't stand the whole... You're a sis. It's like... First of all, no, we're not. We're not even <laughs> yes. going there. I'm not sis. I'm just a woman. Don't call me sis. Only my brother calls me sis. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Somebody said sis, correctly identified sex. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Uh, okay, next job. one. Good job. Next one. This is about Ulta having men as their spokespeople. Delusional. You know, did you ever think you'd see the day where beauty brands would create a podcast with two biological males talking about girlhood? It's essentially two males mansplaining what it means to be a woman. You know, beauty could be for anyone, sure, but girlhood is for girls. Girlhood is not just a product that you can purchase at the makeup store. You know, my biggest issue with this is these two men talking about how they want to be a mom one day and that they absolutely can be. No, you absolutely cannot be and never will be a mother. Renting the womb of another woman will never make you a mother yourself. Not even adopting will make you a mother. You know why? Because you are a man. 99 things a man can be and a mom isn't one of them. Women are not a fetish. We are not gender affirming tools for males that want to feel more feminine. We are more than a dress and some pretty eyeshadow. And the fact that we have to keep reminding men of that is pretty dang sad. So maybe stop erasing women. Dang, what, okay, what's her name? Face. Living like Alex? Yeah. yeah, we are not to be mocked. Yeah. All right. And she, she just recently had living, a baby. Living life like Alex. Okay, there it is. All right, yeah, definitely. She's pretty cool. It's uh, she's got a lot of good stuff to say. But uh, oh, I'm already following her. <laughs> I mean, there, yeah. there, are, there are a lot of these where it's like, this will restore your faith that uh, not all women have drank the Kool-Aid, you guys. Is there another one? We have this last one here with Pearl. Are nice. you sh that's the last one? Okay. Uh, there's two more. We got this one. Well, that's the one. That okay, one. okay, yeah. Skip, one. skip the pro one because that just goes back into the other thing. But yeah, go ahead. He's trying. And femininity cannot coexist. Oh, we'll restart this one. Yeah. One second. And femininity cannot coexist because they represent two complete opposites. Feminism is competitive, ruthless, anti-family, and anti-man. Femininity is supportive, warm, pro-family, and pro-man. So what's it going to be, ladies? Because you can't have your cake and eat it too. Feminism. That was it. <laughs> I, I mean, it, that kind of sums it up. It, it, it's like we're not, we're not competing teams on a field here. We're on the same team competing against everybody else i i have a i have, this is something that is kind of I, i've thought about for a, a while now um I, I feel like a lot of the stuff that's being pushed by you know the feminist like especially like this woke progressive you know feminist wing it, it, it's almost like they're just asserting these things i i'm not i'm not seeing a great deal of of 
sophisticated argumentation for it as much as I am, because the sophisticated argumentation came in the form of we're denied the right to vote. We're denied the right to, to occupy certain spaces with respect to occupations. We fixed we're, we're, that. And that's been fixed. Yeah. And so now it's, it's either perpetuating this notion that, well, it hasn't really been fixed because we don't have actual, you know, 100% quote, you know, equality of outcomes within the marketplace, which you're never going to have and which would require a great deal of violence and subversion of people's individual rights and desires in order to achieve. But it's this idea that, no, we, we've decided this is best. And I want to look at it and be like, okay, when I look at some of the, the older, um, you know, liberated feminists, uh, you know, from the sixties or seventies or whatnot, I don't know that I'm seeing a great, again, I'm still seeing a whole lot of anger in the movement. You would think after decades of, of this movement taking place, the people that, the people that saw it more, you know, closer to its inception would be happier about the, the changes that have taken place, but it doesn't seem like there's any joy. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm caricaturing this, but it seems like there's never any joy and it, and it, it is, it is completely dependent upon fomenting rage. And I'm yes. like, at what point, at what point do any of you get to sit back and look and say, gosh, we've really come so far. This is great. We're so much happier now. They're not happy. That's not. the whole point. They're, they're not, women in general are not happier today than they were 40 years ago. Oh yeah. yeah. The mental health crisis is out of control more women, women are so freaking medicated now for all of their anxiety issues and all their depression issues and all the, I mean, like when you women more are women, not doing better. You have more women now trying to become men than ever before in human history. Why is that? Yeah. Mental. But I'm saying like, again, if this is the height, if, if we're, if we're talking about almost a century, over a century, really of, of a, of a, well-organized, powerful feminist movement, right, on its fourth wave now. Why is it that now is the time where women in the West, women in the United States, more young women want to become men than ever before? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you relish in the, in the fact that you're a woman? Because you, you uh, are seeing... Can I tell you, give you some insight into some of that? Yeah. Um, so I like to use Demi Lovato as a nice example I don't know if you guys have ever noticed, but like Demi Lovato, she's a she's a famous singer. Um, some of you probably already know that, but um, she has had major mental health issues off and on, had a drug problem, things like that, and and overcame that. But years back, she had basically gained a bunch of weight, and she wasn't feeling feminine anymore. And so she decided she was going to use they them pronouns because she just didn't feel like a woman. And then when she lost all the weight, she's like, I'm going to go back to she, her. <laughs> like, can, can we see a correlation here? Um, I know for me, like, listen, I, I struggle with my weight up and down. And like most of my adult life. When I'm heavier, I feel less feminine. I don't feel as pretty. I, I struggle and it's all in my own head and I'm, I'm struggling with it in my own mirror and it is hard to feel feminine when you feel like you're not looking the way you like to look. When you are feeling, you know, fit and, and like you're doing well and everything fits you nice and you can put something on and turn heads and things like that, uh, then you feel very feminine. And I feel like it, it is such a superficial link, right, to why women might feel uh 
um, like they're l- less womanly and they and they feel like they're a he him or a they them is because there is something in their appearance that they are struggling with and they don't feel feminine. They don't feel it like because I I even as just to me, I think I'm a pretty normal woman. I see it on a micro level where I feel less feminine when I'm heavy, you know, and I feel more feminine when I'm thin. It's just the way I feel. I feel, I think that's one of the reasons why you have like all of these like morbidly obese, they, thems. I think the women who are turning into men, I I don't honestly get it. I've seen your job. I don't want your job. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I really don't. Like, there are a lot of things that I would say, well, it's not that fair. I wish this was more equal. You know, yeah, life's not fair. <laughs> it's just not. And so you have to take the good with the bad. So let's, let's kind of, uh, like, wrapping this up, because obviously we, we've talked a lot, we've heard from a lot of influence or whatnot. Uh, I mean, both of you, Married, both of you have kids. Both of you seem to be reasonably happy within your marriages. Isn't that right, sweetheart? Yes, honey, yes. <laughs> I'm happy. Don't like, hit me. So, oh, my God. I'm just are you, kidding. Are you in distress? <laughs> Blink three times yeah. if you're okay. Oh, gosh. I'm Sorry. Trouble. So here, here's, my, here's my question then. So you, you, obviously there's, there's, two, there's two messages that are being, that are being pushed um, toward young women right now. Right. The, the feminist message essentially, as you guys have described it, and I think is accurate, denigrates this idea of or, or even if it doesn't, let's say it doesn't doesn't completely denigrate motherhood or being a wife, but it, it essentially puts it way down the chain of right. way down the hierarchy with respect to laudable goals and laudable characteristics and attributes and achievements. Um, and then you have this 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 new trad wife movement, right? The traditional wife. We, we, again, if we want to come up with a different name, we can, but that's, what's currently being used. The traditional, I like it. the traditional, wife, with it. the traditional wife move. I like normal. And, and what it, what <laughs> it essentially, what it essentially does, what, what it essentially does is offer an alternative. Now, just like you could argue that feminism has, is a spectrum, right? Okay. Um, you could also argue that the traditional wife movement is a spectrum. Some people, they're, they're, um, the manifestation of a traditional wife means, you know, they dress in a certain way and they do certain things and in in cooking and, and cleaning and maintaining the house and raising the children. And you could say that those are all firmly within the category of traditional wife. But it doesn't exclude you being able to work. It doesn't exclude you being able to do everything. When you read, you know, the kind of Proverbs thirty-one definition of a woman, it's very industrious, and and uh, there's there's jobs inside the house, jobs outside the house. So it's not exclusive to just th- this narrow definition. What what is your? I mean, what is your pitch to young women? Because um, both of you also have daughters. Like, what what's your pitch essentially to? You know, hey, these are the sort of these are the sort of things, these are the sort of ideas, these are the sort of notions that are going to bring you a genuinely fulfilled life, regardless of what you know influencers out there in the world might say. You will be way more happy being a, a wife, a mother in a committed relationship than you will ever be clubbing, trying to buy the newest purse, and not being fulfilled. And have five cats. <laughs> I would I would definitely say that. <laughs> yeah. I think children, a husband, a home, 
will bring you more happiness than five cats. Yeah, definitely. It's that same, that old thing where it's like on, on your deathbed, nobody ever says they wish they would have worked more or they, you know, I understand the idea of wanting to leave a legacy, but the, the best legacy that, um, a woman I feel like can leave is, is the next generation not being screwed up beyond measure. (laughs) And it's like, I had one woman say that, uh, I posted something about the fact that comfort is a, a huge barrier to homeschooling. And I had, uh, someone say that, Oh, for, for my mental health, I just couldn't do it. And I've had people say that right after talking about their daughter walking in on uh, somebody getting a BJ in the bathroom at her middle school. And so, and then she has the audacity shortly thereafter to say that she just, oh, for her mental health, she could never homeschool. And I just, I, I just wanted to say it's either your mental health or theirs. So which one? Which one are you choosing? And that that just sounded wildly selfish to me. That but it's like you, I'm gonna I'm gonna subject my kid to all this other stuff for my own mental health. The thing is, is that your legacy is is having young people <laughs> that that move on and 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 carry out you know life in a productive manner. And productive for a woman can be a lot of different things. Um, for me, it's the how it's the home. And I, I just, it doesn't mean that you can't work. It doesn't mean that you can't bring in an income. You look at the Proverbs 31 woman and she does, she's industrious. She goes and she buys and sells things and she, um, she produces things. And, and so that's not to say that you can't do that as a woman. I'm just saying that to denigrate motherhood and to put it behind a career is a huge mistake. All right. Well, there you go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank everybody for watching this episode. I want to thank both Queen of the Bees and the cook, say her name, Stauffenberg, for coming <laughs> on today and also for the treats that she brought because, yeah, the apple tartlets and, and the, what's the name of the other thing? It's a peach mousse Napoleon. It's delicious. Oh, my gosh. It was, I mean, it was funny because the girls are over here like talking and like Tina's like, but meanwhile, like Hamilton and I are over here. They're over there like, wolfing We're like down. moving our microphones away the entire time so we can sit here and just be like, nom, nom, nom. <laughs> My plate is clean. But they, they were they were truly excellent. Thank you guys for coming on. Thank you for your insight. Also, if you want to join our community chat and give some insight on what you thought about today's episode and future episodes that you would like to see, if you'd like to chime in with your own advice on the best way and what you would tell young women growing up in an era where they are being told that they can either choose feminism or join the movement of the trad wives. I know Gina still hates I that hate term. It. Hates that term. We, we'll, we'll come up with a better one, Gina. We'll come up with a better one. But until then, we want to thank you all for joining us, and we will see you next episode.